Podcast. If you haven't done it in training, you will not do it in a race. It's that simple. You'd be very hard pressed to find people that would be like, no, you just got to put the hours in and then it all comes Mm -hmm. together on race day. Well, you know what? It doesn't. I'm gonna say that today's guest is the world's most versatile professional endurance athlete. There's a pretty solid argument that he is one of, if not the greatest endurance athletes alive today. His name is Cam Wirf. All that matters is what you do on race day. Unless you go out and perform when it matters, when everyone's watching, it means nothing. It matters zero. This is a guy who has distinguished himself at the highest, most elite level in three distinct sports. First, in rowing, where he represented Australia in the 2004 Athens Olympics. But then he turns its sights on professional cycling and over the years becomes a super domestique for Team Sky and now Team Ineos. He's famous for not only leading Team Ineos to victory on the cobblestones of Perry roubaix last year, but celebrating that win by going out and running a half marathon right after the race. He can set bike course records at the world's most prestigious Ironmans, and he can even run a 245 marathon after a 2.4 mile swim and a 112 mile bike. If I'm capable of dreaming something, then it's possible. An athlete can do anything. I don't really believe that you can dream something that isn't possible. Cam doesn't ever seem to get tired. He absolutely loves training. He's always smiling and uh, I just got so many questions. And today he's here to answer them with an infectious enthusiasm I wish I could bottle. But first, let's acknowledge the awesome organizations that make this show possible. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology, technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But 
no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, final note, we recorded this episode quite some time ago, all the way back in February. So since then, Cam has bookended an impressive slew of races for Ineos with a podium at Ironman Lanzarote. And it seems he's just getting warmed up. So strap in and let's do it. This is me and the great Cam Worf. How come you don't live up here and you live you live you live in like Santa Monica, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it was I guess because 
Tower 26, like Jerry, yeah. I used to swim with him, still uh-huh. do. Um, that's there. And then running, you know, like it's just so easy with everything. You can get the flats there yeah, too. Yeah, you got sort of everything, the beach, everything. And then you got the tracks as well, the uh-huh. colleges. But then to get the riding in, you got to come up here. Yeah, but that's, I mean, it's literally, it takes me 15 minutes to get to Topanga. Right. And it takes me 25 max to get to Los Los Flores, you know, and then you're uh-huh. up and into it, you know. Right. And in reality, it's, you know, it's pretty cruisy along that part of the PCH. It can get a bit wild, but, you know. I got, a, um, I got an email from Jerry the other day. Oh, uh, yeah? I hadn't talked to him in quite some time. Does he, he moved, he was, ta- he said he moved up to Santa Barbara. To Santa Barbara so does yeah. he still come down to coach? He comes on Thursdays, uh-huh. just on Thursday mornings. To do the beach workout or he do you swim yeah, at the Palisades pool? Well. He does that as well. Uh-huh. So he does the beach workout in the summer. And then he also does Thursday morning. So he must like stay right. up here one day a week. Mm-hmm. And is it still at the, the Palisades High School? Yeah, high school, yeah. Right. They've got a second group down Nil Segundo. I've never yeah. been down there. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's just why we're there. What originally brought you to LA? Is this, this is your home base now, right? Or no, 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 I'm in not? Andorra. Oh, Andorra is still the yeah, main yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's where I Cause you're here live. a lot though. Yeah, becoming more and more. I mean, it, it's sort of, I guess, cyclical, you know, I mean, it's, Training, you know, in the if the weather's you know pretty average over there in the winter, then it's obviously better to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, with Kona, normally it's like a pretty good sort of you know eight months plus sort of stint in Europe, and then you know here for off and on for that the rest of that four months. You know, it's easy to get to Australia and you know, go home mm-hmm. and see the family from here and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But also, if I need to go back to Europe, you know, with team camps in like December and meetings and whatever, you can yeah. you can do it and. And then also, but that time of the year, get all the training done, you right. know? So it just became, it's like a perfect, you know, central thing. So um, yeah, I kind of am around a lot, but I'm actually physically not here that many days, I guess. Uh-huh. You know, it's like a few weeks here, a few weeks there. Right. But, but when I go back next week, obviously with Kona now, not being Kona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that really, thr- yeah, I mean, and Kona is such a big thing for you. It's all yeah. about, it's not necessarily the, uh, the Ironman World Championship. It's like Kona. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the reason I do the sport. Yeah. And so um, we just had obviously the three years we had, you know, where it didn't happen, you know? know, and then, and then finally, it's we finally back. got to go and it, it all sort of went by in a bit of a blur for me. And, and then, you think you're back now, finally in a routine, and and then uh, you know flip the script script again. But yeah. you know what? I mean, it, it is what it is. I always say to the guys, you know, you, it's like when we talk about anti-doping and, and all sorts of stuff, you know, in the sport and drafting and all, you know, whatever rules. I say, guys, look, it's it's not our job to make the rules. It's our job to obey, <laughs> obey right. the rules. And and if you don't like it, go and do a different sport. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of as simple as that. And and Ironman made their decision, and um, and you know you got to pivot and go right. Well, that's the that's the landscape now. How do you make the most of it? And, but and you, for me, it probably presents a great opportunity. Yeah, you seem like somebody who who rolls with things pretty well, though. Mm. I mean, you've been in sport at a high level for so long, and yeah. you know have have excelled consistently at an elite level across three different sports. Yeah, and. I'm sure have faced every form of obstacle along the way. So at some point yeah. you're just like, you, you, you control the controllables and it, the it, stuff you can't, you gotta let go of it. Otherwise you're gonna, you're gonna flame out or yeah. drive yourself crazy. It's funny you say that like uh, today, a couple of guys met us for a ride. One guy, Belgian guy works at um, the Rafa shop. I can't remember his name, 
but I feel terrible because he he rode against me in 2001 at the Junior Worlds. He was in the Belgian four. Uh-huh. And the going into it, we'd done a couple of lead up junior, we were the two top ranked crews. Everyone was, you know, was like, who's gonna win? And we're in the semi-final and we're on the start and just one, we're in Germany and one of those random storms, like, you know, they just, they have those sirens on the end of lakes in Europe and like, they know that something's coming and so they warn the siren and it goes and next thing this thing just like rips through, there's white caps everywhere and stuff getting blown all over the place. One came, one was coming mm. and our coach could see it. He was trying to get my attention because I was in the stroke seat of the boat to like pretend I'd broken something in the boat to get a delay. And I was like, he's waving, you know, I was like, he sort of ignored anyway. Sure enough, the race started, we got about hundred meters and boom, this thing hit us. Mm. And we were all quite small, like 150 pound kids. And we we're racing Romania, Belarus that were, you know, 300 pound <laughs> men, <Yeah. laughs> probably with fake passports. And uh, sure <laughs> enough, like they just sat back and leaned into it and just plowed through this storm and, you know, made the final. We missed out by one spot. Mm. And the same thing happened to Belgium in the next heat. And, um, or sorry, in the heat before, cause they'd, they'd hit it towards the end of their race. And so we ended up both in the B final, but we beat them in the B final. And uh, he reminded me of that, you know, we should have been first and second that yeah. year. I was like, yeah, well, you know, we were seventh and eighth. <laughs> so a couple of things, I mean, first of all, yeah. uh, it didn't get said, but for people that are watching or listening, you're talking about rowing. Like mm. we started out talking about triathlon and switched gears, which is, you know, part of what we're gonna get into today, which is your versatility. Yeah. Um, second to that, so this Belgian guy who works at the Rafa shop, he yeah, used Sam to row. Up, he used to row again. Yeah, is that like the first time you've seen him I, in twenty-five yeah, years then. or whatever? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was two thousand and one. It was twenty-two years ago. Wow. And and not only that, but I'd done some efforts before he arrived, and I mean they weren't hard. They were like some zone three just efforts. I was doing around four hundred and ten watts, and he said, "How do you feel? You know, at your age, like he's obviously working. I'm uh-huh. still in different sports, and." And he, and I said, you know what, it's funny. Like even when I was rowing and we'd get on the bike, like if you could do 400 watts for like 20 minutes at, you know, 70 kilos, 150 pounds, that was pretty, a pretty solid effort. I said, yeah. well, mate, 22 years later, it still is. <laughs> that feeling <laughs> yeah. has not changed. <laughs> uh-huh. And I said, I can't even believe I'm still doing it, but uh, I am and I, and you know, and I, and I apply myself the same way I did 22 years ago. Right. You know, I, I, I just love it. I love, I love exercising. Yeah. Mm. And you're what are you 39? Yeah. Now 39, 39, right? But you're you're still improving mm. every year. Yeah. Um you had a cup, you know, during COVID, you were sort of angled for a peak performance, but there were no races. Yeah. But you've bounced back and you put in your best uh Kona performance this past year. Yeah. It just so happened to be an incredible field and all kinds of havoc <laughs> yeah. broke loose with you yeah. know, not just the Norwegians, but Sam Laidlow. Yeah. You improved on your bike course record by three seconds. But he demolished me. But demolished you know, it, it was almost like I was watching the live stream yeah. and you were barely brought up in the yeah. whole conversation. It was insane. Which is, I mean, that's how you want it. You know, I mean, when I took the record, I took it off Norman Stadler, who had stopped racing, you know, centuries ago. And Sam, what impressed me most was I was there and I was powerless to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, I mean, in admiration and, and, and of, of what he did as much as everyone else watching, I think, you know, I was really pleased for him. He's a lovely, he's a lovely guy at the, at the uh-huh. end of it all. And, and he, um, that was uh, his first Kona, right? That was his first Kona. And the Norwegians, their first Kona. Yeah. 
to come in their first time out and yeah. basically rewrite the rule book completely. Where there's all this lore about how you can't do that, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're just like, I don't care about that. Like I'm just going to go in and crush, and they did. Yeah. Uh, how does that? I mean, for somebody who's who's been so enthusiastically pursuing a win at Kona for so long, yeah. does that now feel daunting? Like it's definitely a seismic shift in mm. where the sport is headed. Yeah, I mean, not really. It's uh, it's kind of getting towards the level I assumed, you know, you'd uh-huh. want to get to and I've been aiming to get to. And it. I thought about this on the drive out, like thinking back, you know, through what I've done and, I've forgotten who it was you had on here, but it was a guy talking about Ironman Canada and he didn't get to read his speech that he planned to read. Um, oh, Gordo Byrne. Gord, Gordo yeah. Byrne. Yeah. I listened to that. I was running in Maryland. I remember my wife's family's from over there. I was in the middle of nowhere, I had the podcast on. And I I guess it was, it was it sort of resonated with me because I've never feel like I've been able to empty the tank in an Ironman. And through a range of reasons. The first time I won one was in 17 and, and I'd qualified for Kona a few weeks before in the last qualifying race. And we'd already planned to like do the Ironman Wales because it helped for the next Kona mm-hmm. to qualify. So we like, bugger it, you may as well go anyway, just do it some training anyway. Sure enough, it was a horrible day. I was miles in front of the bike. I was basically able to walk the run and win and great. And then obviously came to Kona. That was when I first broke the bike course record and kind of established myself in the sport. 19, I won twice. You know, the first one was in Port Macquarie and it was the first time I could run properly. So I was running quite well, got nervous halfway through because I was running quicker than I've ever run. So I started eating too much. So then I had to slow down because I had stomach cramps, Mm -hmm. you know. So that kind of, I still won, but it was nothing. Then I did Ironman Italy later that year and... I was in, you know, ready for Kona, but it was three weeks before and we basically did it to test a new bike. But I was sort of so far in front and felt so good in the first half of the run. It was like, oh, I may as well finish took it off. Took foot off the gas. But yeah, I took my foot off the gas, but still run 244. I think I went 745 that day. <laughs> and then Kona was three weeks oh, yeah. later. And while physically, I think it was maybe still a good decision as far as training goes, what we didn't counter was it's on the other side of the world, travel. So... By the time I'd had a few days off before Italy, I traveled to the other side of the world, dealt with jet lag, dealt with different climate. All of a sudden you get to the start line and it was like a month since you've trained, mm-hmm. you know, and I was fifth, which was a grind out. You know, it was the best result I've ever had, but I finished it going, gosh, you know, I think we got that a bit wrong anyway. And then of course we had, um, you know, Copenhagen in 21, you know, we had COVID then, COVID hit. So Copenhagen in 21, Great rate, miles in front on the bike, had Lionel quite a ways behind, 10, 11 minutes. I was like, oh, okay, this will be fun. I just watched Kipchoge win gold at the Olympics in the marathon. I love mm-hmm. the way he just booted away from everyone. I said, I'm going to go nice and slow. And then when Lionel gets within, you know, 30, 40 seconds, I'm just going to ping it. Uh-huh. And he caught to that, I don't know, three, four K from the end. So then I just went for it and put like five minutes into him. You know, it was, it was quite comfortable. And then Kona got canceled. Right. And so, so you feel like basically the point being that you feel like you've never been able to drop the hammer and have never. the race that you're capable of having. No, like the one I've envisaged having. And mm-hmm. then finally this year with Kona, you know, I had the chance to train until a week before I felt like this was going to be the moment to finally like get it all out, you know, and 
And then, uh, yeah, it just didn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, you shared with me something just before the podcast about mm. what was actually going on that yeah. I, I don't know if people know about that. No, I haven't said anything because you don't want to make an excuse. And it's not an excuse. It's just, you know, it's amazing how it, it was COVID, you know, and, and I, I got sick three, four days before I started noticing it. I think as people know, I'm a bit of a nutter for training. I love training. Mm. And that last week is for me is the worst week when you're not meant to do much. And <laughs> I found myself cutting, not doing much short, you know, it was uh -huh. very uncharacteristic, couldn't sleep properly. I, I said, I knew there was something wrong. I, you know, I was taking paracetamol and whatever. Anyway, I was like, look, if I can be on that start line, I'm going to be on there, you know? And sure enough, I raced. Yeah, I was, I was off the pace. I was never able to get into the race. I, mm -hmm. I was quite achy and, and didn't, it was, it was a real, you know, another grind. Um, and the result was what it was. And, it, you know, a couple of days later, the team, you know, sort of encouraged me to do a test um, because they were, you know, we had a carer there at the race, Marco, who had sensed there was something a bit up. And um, yeah, sure enough, I had COVID, you know, wow. and I was, I was negative a couple of days later. And I guess the thing for me was I'd been so diligent for that whole period because with the team and the bubble, you know, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, go outside. Like I, I'd, I'd sacrifice swimming and running and stuff at races, which was, I was meant to be able to do as preparation for all that time to make sure I didn't get anyone else, you know, risk getting anyone else sick or bring it into races and never had COVID. I'd done hundreds of tests, uh -huh. maybe thousands, you know? And then when it was finally my chance, like it was finally my moment, you know, I, I guess I got over there and just got so excited to be amongst it all. And and I'd never had it. So I guess I was maybe a bit more susceptible. I'd trained really hard. I was probably really on the razor and, mm -hmm. and it got me, you know, yeah. and, and, um, but uh, you know, and afterwards you're like, ah, I mean, initially after the race, I was like, well, that's really, there was a real tough pill to swallow. Obviously what Sam did, what the boys did, I wasn't even part of the race. I didn't even feel like I was involved yet. I was still 11th and went eight hours. Um, I, you just, I didn't really know. I was sort of, I guess, well, blow cycling, you know, let's just get stuck into this again. Let's just focus on one thing. But then when I found out I had COVID, I was like, well, you know what? That's not that bad. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. encouraging actually. You, yeah. you, 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 I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because you go eight hours, you break the bike course record. I yeah. mean, that's a phenomenal effort, Yeah, but you had to go under eight hours to break the top 10. Yes. It was just an unbelievably fast field, but yeah. then to discover, even if it was a low grade version of COVID that yeah. you were competing with COVID, yeah. once again, you've been unable to be at your best when, yeah. when it mattered most. I think I said to you, like I ran with the boy, the Norwegian guys a couple of days later, and that was sort of when, I figured it must have been something because Christian made a comment of how com good I looked. Uh -huh. You know, he was running like he could barely move, and I was. Yeah, but looks are deceiving with that guy. True, true, <laughs> very true. But he, he was just so stiff and sore, he could uh -huh. barely walk. And he said, "You know, you're not even. You don't even look tired." And I said, "Well, to be honest, I I just didn't feel like I could get out of first gear all day. You know, mm. I just wasn't in the race. I couldn't get to you guys. I couldn't be a part of it, and didn't know why. And it was that night that I did the test, and yeah. So of course you know, I was disappointed. I really wanted to fight back quickly. You know, I was, I was negative quickly, which meant that I'd probably had it some time before the race. So it had probably been affecting me for longer than I, I realized, or I'd been able to ignore and wanted to do another race at the end of the year, you know, Arizona, Israel, you know, Cozumel something, you know, just to really have that, that big tank empty, you know? 
And um, yeah, I, I tried to get back into training and just every time I tried to train, I'd just get sick again. So, you know, I was worried about chronic fatigue. Fortunately, it wasn't that. Just, I got some advice that said, yeah. you just got to rest. You know, it's not smart to do an Ironman with that virus. Um, so you read to, and, and hope that you haven't done any damage. You know, that uh-huh. was the big thing for the team. They were worried about your heart and did quite extensive tests on me once I was healthy. Mm-hmm. And I seem fine. And, and to be honest, now I feel fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to train at a level I've, I haven't trained at in the past. And yeah, it's just uh, hopefully that me getting COVID was the end for everyone. That was like the, the page turner for the, for the rest of the world. We can all move on now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for giving yeah, yeah, the world yeah, permission. I, I took one for the team. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's, that's good to know. I mean, when, yeah. when you say, you know, the team was concerned or the team did this, you're talking about Ineos, which is the yeah. cycling team that you're, that you, that you compete on behalf of. So, yeah. um, you know, just to kind of create some context for people who don't know who you are, uh, you compete for the world's greatest cycling team, the most successful, most dominant professional world tour cycling team. Yeah. You also compete as an individual, as an elite Ironman triathlete. Uh, and you seem to do this with, with, it appears relative ease and parity. Like it's not as if one is a side hustle and one's the full-time job. Yeah. They're kind of equal footing. I, you know, I feel like you have, perhaps a greater passion for Ironman, particularly Kona and triathlon, mm. um, but it's the stability of being part of this team and, and perhaps the camaraderie and the kind of foundation that, that'll, that, that provides you and your family and, and yeah. also your training yeah. to kind of you know, root you in something so that you, know, you can do all these other things as well. Like it's a complicated puzzle, I'm sure, yeah. but you're the only one who's doing this. Yeah. Are you the, o- I think you're the only one who's ever done yeah. this, right? I mean, yeah. there was Talansky, but he- he stopped. He, yeah, he stopped and yeah. he, you know, he was a pro cyclist for Slipstream for, yeah. I don't know, six or seven years, right? Yeah, long time. And became a pro Ironman, yeah. but you're the only one to try to do them simultaneously. Yeah. And as I far mean, as I know. Yeah, and I, I, my big goal, you know, sort of, you know, uh, last year, for example, or 2021, was uh, to win a race and win an Ironman, you know, uh-huh. and I was able to do it or be part of a winning team, you know, part of a winning, like guys winning. The first year, 2020, I was never part of a win with the team. You know, we had a bunch of seconds, even second in the Vuelta with Richie mm-hmm. Carapaz, like it was a great fight with Jumbo Visma, but didn't win. And then so 21, I was like, right, I want to be part of a, you know, a win. And thanks to Tom Pitcock had his first win and I was there for that. Uh-huh. Um, and then obviously bunch followed that. And then I won in Copenhagen, you know, and then last year in 22, part of more team victories, but <clears throat> didn't quite, you know, I couldn't win one myself. I was second in the one Ironman I did aside from the world championships in, um, in, uh, in Vittoria, yeah, in Vittoria Gastezzo in oh, Spain. Right. I got beaten by 30 seconds, but you know, that was, uh, to your point, you know, they had me actually the week before was the Tour de France started the weekend before. They had me in Copenhagen for some VIP, you know, to stuff, but also COVID was still quite rife, like just in case, uh-huh. you know, if they had to right. throw me in, I was there. So I obviously wasn't there preparing for an Ironman. And then when I didn't get to race the Tour, it's like, wow, you got to qualify for Kona now. Okay, there's a race next weekend, off you go. So rest home, <laughs> throw all the stuff in the car, off I went. <laughs> And I almost pulled it off, you know, good lead on the bike and was nursing myself through the run and, and mm-hmm. got caught in the final part. But um, yeah, I've learned that, it, you know, 
the the guys are very very good in uh-huh. both sports, and so I need to be more. I'm not sure what the compartmentalize. I mean, that's mental, but basically dedicate myself specifically to each, you know, at certain times to to do it properly because otherwise I just become okay at both. And, right. and I don't want that. Like I can go to a bike race and do my job for the team and, you know, G and I had this conversation in training the other day. It's G being Garen Thomas, Garen Thomas World, yeah. Tour de France champion. Yeah, yeah he's out here <laughs> training with me and, it was if I if I'm on the front or you know protecting the guys or helping them for 5k longer than we thought that's great. If I'm there for 5k less, they work it out. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's not really it's no big deal. Make or break. It's me that knows whether I gave it all and did it actually made a big difference or not. Like me personally. So when I don't do a good job, you know, if I have been you know, kind of doing too much running or whatever, and it's affected me, you know, racing on the bike it's actually a loss because racing on the bike provides a, an amazing opportunity to push my body way harder than I would like to because mm-hmm. it's one of those sports where you just have to go as fast as the guy in front, which is something I feel can be a weapon to take back to you know, triathlon. And, and periodically, I've been able to get that right over the last few years, but not consistently. And so, and a lot of that has been because of this whole COVID thing with the bubble. I haven't been able to go swimming. I haven't been able to go to the hotel gym and go for a run during the race. Just a small, you know, even just a small one, just right. enough to keep, as you know, with swimming. Yeah, like, the swimming thing has got to be tough, right? <laughs> like you're in Europe, you're doing these races. You're not, you know, like you're not going to find a pool all the yeah. time. No, and and swimming is the one you need to keep the feel for. Mm-hmm. And so for me, just being able to get in the pool, even just at the end of the day for a kilometer or two, it would make a massive difference to having 10 days off. Cause otherwise you tend to go home and it's like you're starting all over again for someone like myself without a swimming background. Yeah. And anyway, and so again, I was thinking though, but it's bizarre because even on a bad day, I still swim with like, you know, Lionel or Sam Long or Kinlay or these guys. And, mm-hmm. but I don't actually, yeah, it's when I'm not. Don't even get to train. You know. I know it's insane. So, it's insane that you you can basically the way that I envision it, and it's probably not like this, but it's sort of like you're in Europe doing whatever you're doing with the team, uh, and and you're sort of on standby as a domestique or a super domestique. You don't always yeah. know if you're going to be enlisted to do this race or that, which yeah. makes it difficult for you to plan your race schedule with respect to triathlon, it's kind of a standby thing, right? So you're always sort of training, but not really sure what you're training for. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna scoot out and do this Ironman and you you parachute into some race after not having swum at all, but somehow you're able to stay in contact with the lead group out of the water. Yeah. (laughs) Like what is going, I I mean, the best- bunch skills. One thing you get from cycling is bunch skills. The craziest example, maybe there's a crazier one, but the one that struck me was in, was it, I, I get all the dates confused, but right before St. George, you're at Perry uh, Roubaix, yeah. right? Yeah. Perry Roubaix, like the most insane, brutal one day cycling race there is. Yeah. And you're, you know, on the lead out in the cobbles, mm. basically blazing the path for the team yeah. and, and really set the team up for a win. Yeah. And then you basically split from yeah. there and drop in on St. George. Yeah and lead that race on the bike. Toad. You basically towed Christian. towed Christian the yeah. whole way and set him up for the win. Yeah. But the fact, you didn't even think that you were gonna be doing that race, no. right? Because you were supposed to be doing something else for Ineos. Yeah, 
Yeah. So you weren't even really preparing for that. Well, I actually had to go to Africa the following week. So it was like, can I fit it in or not? And I decided last minute, well, I can, so I'll go. So I came here, then I went to Namibia and she did a, it was a, another corporate bonding thing they wanted me to do um, over there. But, you know, it's funny, like back to when I stopped, you know, I was doing a similar role and Peter Sargon was my teammate at Cannondale. And, mm-hmm. and I guess I got to, I guess I was 30, 31. I was like, wow, my productive years are like, I'm, this is great. I'm a domestic, you know, in a big team and blah, blah, blah. But I don't want this, I don't want to waste my productive years doing this. So that's when I moved to the US. I still had a contract fortune with Canada, which they honored and um, gave me a, a bit of time to, you know, find what I wanted to do. I really wanted to work in finance. I met a bunch of different people in that field and finally found, you know, a place I wanted to work down in Century City um, with a, a real estate investment firm, Mosaic, was just sort of starting out. And um, anyway, it was, I did, I was there for a little bit, you know, starting to study and, and Ethan, the, 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 the founder of it all, you know, he said, why would you, you know, you could be in sport, you know, do you want to go back to right. rowing? Do you want to go back to, so I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm really happy doing this. And I'd done a couple of triathlons for a bit of fun. And so uh, I said, oh, but I enjoy this. And as only an American would, he said, I used to live in Kona. He said, you can beat those guys. I used to watch that race every year. You're better than them. And I'm thinking, mate, I've done a couple of triathlons for fun. Like only an American would say that to you. Uh-huh. And so I kind of, you know, I took one seriously. It was Arizona as a pro. I said, if I can get off the bike, you know, quicker than Yarn had, had, had set the world record in mm-hmm. Roth, the so swim and bike combined, I'll think about learning to run. And anyway, it just sort of snowballed from there. I was able to do that. I just hobbled through the run. I didn't even bother training for the run for that one. It was all about the swim and the bike. I went back to Australia for a bit of a break, you know, before I'd come back and I thought I'd just get into finance. You know, we got a random call from Chris Froome to do some training down there because he was holidaying. I thought, why not? And um, yeah, uh, ended I, up let's, back right, in the game. I'm going to hit pause here because just so I, so the audience is clear, mm. let's let's like really establish what exactly happened here, which is essentially that you you start out as a rower. You yeah. grow up. You're from Tasmania. Yeah. You go to the Olympics in 2004. Yeah. In the um, in the double. lightweight double skull, right? Yeah. Olympian. Yeah. Right pinnacle of sport for anybody. Yeah. Uh, somehow you reinvent yourself as a professional cyclist. And then you spend how many years? Like, uh, you know, a handful of years as a pro, you bounce yeah. around between a couple teams, but yeah. you're on Cannondale Liquid Gas. Like that's, that, that was like the main team you were yeah. on, right? Yeah. And, and from what I understand, there was some sort of discontentment around like, you know, how the whole kind of like pro cycling thing operates and, yeah. and you were feeling dissatisfied with that and kind of hung it up. Yeah. And that's where the finance thing came in. Yeah. So you're thinking my athletic career is over. Yeah. The boss says, get the fuck back out there. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And uh, you do a couple of triathlons and you go back home and you're riding with Richie Port, or, mm. you know, one of the greatest cyclists there is. There are, you're training with him yeah. in, it was in, in, Tassie, uh, in Tasmania. Yeah, in Tasmania. Yeah. And then he goes on to win Tour Down Under shortly yeah. thereafter, right? And, yeah. and you kind of set him up for that. Yeah. You get this call from an, an old rowing coach who's now a cycling coach, who's involved Sky. with Sky, yeah. who's like, come ride with Froome. Yeah. You know the the guy at the yeah. moment. He just won the tour for the third time, right? Yeah, and then you set him up for more success. Well, he won all three in a row after he started <laughs> training with me. Yeah. <laughs> You're like the go-to guy. Like, if you want to win a grand tour, <laughs> yeah. you got to call up Cam because he's the secret weapon. Yeah. So well, now it's it's Port, 
it's it's uh it's um Froome yeah. and now it's it's Garrett yeah. and you know these are the these are the these are the top guys in the world mm. and these are the and these guys choose to train with you. You're the guy they want to train with. Yeah. So the question is like what is it about you? Why is it that they want to spend you know all these hours, all this time? Like what it, what are you contributing to those guys and what are you getting out of that that mm. is nourishing for you but also nourishing for them and creating all of this success. Well, I guess the big the big thing is we're not competitors. You know, I mean, I, I've always been friends with a bunch of guys from other sports, like Jimmy Johnson, for example, NASCAR, uh-huh, right. you know, and, and we, I've learned so much from him. And he asked me so many questions, I guess, because it's not confrontational. He knows I'm not going to get in a car, or well, I might get in a car, but I'm not going to drive as fast as him. Likely, I know he's not going to do an Ironman as quick as I can. And the same with these guys, you know, I mean, they're training for something completely different, but I guess the endurance element, I, there's a company part, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of stories, so I can fill in a lot of blank time. Uh-huh. So I think the guys enjoy that. But I've always been very good at training, you know, and, and that was part of why I quit the first time because I could train I know like the best in the world. And I know now because I'm still training with those guys, uh-huh. but I could never race like that. You know, I didn't figure out the sport. You know, I just didn't know how to apply you that. You were training to train just because you like training. I love training. Yeah. I love exercising. <laughs> I mean, I, I call myself a professional exerciser. And so, you know, that was the thing. I went and trained with Froomey there. You know, it was obvious that I still had a bit under the hood. So then they were like, listen, you want to come back to cycling? I said, no, I'm interested in triathlon. Okay, we'll support you with that. So, you know, obviously spent some time with Froomey in 17, then 18, Geraint wants to win the tour. And he wanted to, he was thinking about coming to LA because I'd told him during camps the previous year how great it is here. Yeah. So the team said, oh, Cameron, can you go out and train with him? So, you know, sure, sure enough, fast forward, he wins the tour that year, you know, and, and it was just- You uh, should get like bonused for that. <laughs> yeah, no, what? I mean, the thing is, and, and this is what Chris said to me, we we're in, so in 17, we, he just won the tour. And in between the tour and the Vuelta, which he obviously won as well, mm-hmm. we were in Chattel training and we'd had a great camp. And at the end of that, I had one last crack at qualifying for Kona. That was in, that was in Sweden the following weekend after we finished that little camp. And the last thing he said, you know, before I, he said, you don't have to do anything more than you're capable of. You know, like just mm. believe in yourself, mate. Like you belong at this level. And and it was and so training with these guys day in, day out, you wonder why I think I can just like I mean, you'd think I could I could do that going to I'm not sure what's a great example, but maybe the Malibu try or, you know, the El Segondo local uh-huh. triathlon. Like it's one thing to do what I do and then on the bike and then go and jump into that. But I think, oh yeah, okay, I'll go and race through Bay and then I'll go to the world championships. And I don't even think about it because I'm surrounded by these guys. Right. You know, at the this best level. of the best. The best of the best. And I've really never known any different. It was the same in every sport that I've done. You know, I've always been surrounded by, by the best guys. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and I guess it's nice that I've finally found a sport that I'm competitive at and, and it is all about me. And if I think about sort of what's happened in the past few years with the team, like you said, there's no schedule. And I don't think that's worked as well as we thought because the idea of me coming back to the team was I'd be at a training camp with the guys. I'd be maybe stronger than a lot of the guys on the camp. Mm-hmm. And it's like, God, wish we could just take Cameron, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm happy doing triathlon, blah, blah, blah. 
Dave eventually said, listen, we'd really like you to be on standby. And I thought, well, that sounds great. But Dave the uh, Brailsford, Brailsford. The, yeah. your team manager. Right. But the problem sort of that eventuated the last few years was then I was all of a sudden getting called into everything because it's like, oh, Cameron's free, is he? Oh, we'll take him. Uh -huh. Oh, Cameron's at home. Oh, great. Well, he can come and do this. And all of a sudden I don't get to train properly. You know, I kind of... As I said, I go home and I'm restarting my swimming, I'm restarting my running. You know, there's no real consistency of blocks. So to be brutally honest, the last couple of years, I haven't really felt like I've been able to put the work in or perform at the level I've wanted to in either sport. It sort of hasn't been quite like it used to be, you know. I, I, and so now they've sort of, the team have said, right, what are we going to do better this year? And, and they're going to limit my racing ideally to one race a month. So uh -huh. I get the time to train, you know, train with the guys, push the guys, push myself, you know, get called into a race to, to fill a gap and whatever. And, and hopefully finally get to marry these two, mm -hmm. you know, sports. Cause I, I love doing what I do now with the guys, but I think that's because I get to go and do my own thing. Right, you know, if I get it was to go all to a, that all the time. Whew, I mean, yeah. the pressure, like Kona. I mean, regardless of the why I didn't perform, it, it's it's still it's all on you, you know. Mm -hmm. And that there's nothing that can help you in that feeling. You are all alone, you mm -hmm. know. If it's great, great. You get to feel all that. When things go, I just now feel like you know, I almost wished I wasn't on the team because a lot of it was because I felt like I let so many people down. You yeah. know, I mean. I did what I could, but I felt like I let all these people down. I felt horrible. And um, and now, you know, I wouldn't want that all the time, like to be a leader in cycling and then have to go and do that. Yeah. That would be pretty intense. Well, so you sort it's of answered, a nice balance. You answered the question that I had, which is, you know, whether you, in the back of your mind, you think, maybe I should let go of the pro cycling thing. And if I just went all in on triathlon and yeah. could get those consistent blocks yeah. in with the swimming and the running mm. and, and give it the focus that it deserves, yeah. um, you could, you know, like how much better could you be, yeah. right? It must, it must, you must think about that. I do, but I also, in my mind, I picture doing it the way I'm doing it. I just haven't had a chance to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm going to the UAE next week and like, I know there's swimming pools at every hotel. We stay on the water a lot of the days. So, you know, the way I see it is, great, I get to race at the highest level of cycling. I'm gonna be physically, you know, cardiovascularly pushed. I just need to go and find some water to flop around in for 30 minutes just to keep the motor pattern, to uh -huh. then apply that fitness to swimming, you know, the week after when I go home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there'll be a treadmill, I'll be able to go for a run. You know, it's like a one week training camp with a cycling focus. And then when I go home, right. I can switch it back into, you know, <laughs> and, and honestly, the level of pro cycling now is, it's like Ironman, it is so high. Yeah. I mean, people say, what's the biggest difference when you came back? And you got to remember, I didn't race for six years until they convinced me right. to go back again. And things changed a lot. First thing that was funny was I just had cycling socks on, you know, regular cotton, whatever, you know, like, cause that's what you always wore. I got to the start line of my first race and I looked around, everyone has their own socks on, mm -hmm. every single person on every single team. And I thought, wow, that's, that's different. That's already a change. Yeah, and they're, they're, cycling is, they're sticklers for their etiquette when it comes to kit. Yes, yeah, so I definitely, were, I definitely <laughs> stood know. out, but the, the one, back in the old days, it was much more controlled. You know, it was more of a gentle, you know, mm -hmm. gentleman's agreement a lot of days. So there was a lot of days that were pretty cruisy. 
And now I and so it's just like base training all the time. Pretty much. Yeah. And I used to, you know, you chat away to your mates you hadn't seen. You know, I was on an Italian team, so you love seeing Aussies and whatever. I don't talk to a single person when I'm racing now. It's wow. so intense. I mean, back in those days it was like, right, we all take it easy to the feed zone, we all get some food in the tank, and then we race the last half of the race or the last third, you know, and it get but now it can kick off at any moment, you know, a bit mm-hmm. like triathlon. <laughs> you know, right. can, someone can make the break at any moment and you don't know if they're going to come back, you know, with the likes of Wout Van Aert, Van Der Poel. I mean, they just have, and Sagan, you know, started, to, but he was sort of on his own tangent. Now there's a bunch of guys like that and the races are just so unpredictable and exciting, mm. you know? Well, I, I heard these stories. I don't know if they're true. Tell me if they're not that in the midst of, of stage races, like after a stage, you would go running yeah. in the middle of yeah. these races. And then on one day classics, you would, you, would, you would like work out after the race. Yes. Yeah, no, I have. <laughs> I mean, the other day I raced in Australia and uh, we, we finished the race and I put my shoes on. It was 22K back to the hotel. So I ran back. Um, and what are your teammates? Yeah. <laughs> How they, did, they what do they make about? <laughs> they really scratched their head, yeah. you know? And it's not that I'm, I've saved energy or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not tired. Of course I'm tired, but I'm also conditioned to do that. And, and it's also, and another thing that I'm really proud of is, and not for me, but the respect that the guys have for the sport now, you know, they think they appreciate, they respect me, you know, mm-hmm. for, for my role in the team and even in the sport. I know that other teams, you know, other athlete riders, you know, they give me space, they, they respect me in the peloton. And they now talk to me about, you know, the Norwegian guys, about right. Laylo, you know, about about the women, you know, Lucy. I mean, they asked me questions, like they they always thought, oh, well, the triathletes, they're just okay at everything. They're like, well, wait a minute. It's no, because this guy anymore. just led us on the, the cobbles in Roubaix and most of the field's already been dropped. And then yeah. he goes to an Ironman and he's sort of and he's one not, of the not best, the but fastest. he's not, exactly. Yeah. He's not like, you know, head and shoulders above anyone. And, and these guys then get off and run too, you know? So like mm. an appreciation for uh, the sport of Ironman. That's Man. a huge shift. It is because you've had people like, you mentioned Andrew Tulansky. I mm-hmm. mean, he tried to do it and came in. I mean, he never even qualified for Kona, never even looked like qualifying for Kona, you know? I mean, and it's not because Andrew is not a phenomenal athlete, but I mean, G and I were talking about this as well the other day. G said, yeah, well, you know, maybe you are actually good at this sport. <laughs> 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 it's not that the sport's easy. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Well, what's interesting is the parallels between what Brailsford has done with British Cycling, Team Sky and Ineos looks very similar to what Olav is doing in Norway 
by you know really kind of like engineering the sport to a whole new level through data and testing and yeah. and you know Brailsford's whole thing of of you know marginal what is it called like marginal margin, gains yeah marginal gains and like yeah. like what do the guys think of the, I know it gets mocked and all of yeah. that but like he really did you know revolutionized british cycling and created the most you know dominant team in 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 you know recent memory yeah we talked about that at the camp about you know creating the a dyna, like a team like a great a, a great team you know the book good to great it's like it's a great team and people say well, how, how do we and it's like well it already is because it's not only you know there was whatever the eight tour wins but it was or seven i can't a lot and <laughs> but there were four different guys yeah you know, and, and also you plug someone like me in there. Okay, I'm not winning the tour, but I'm having success in another sport. Like, you know, that to me is a great organization. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and if I look at it from my perspective, one of the biggest things was when I was getting supported just in Ironman, how hard all the staff work. You know, I go to a camp and, you know, everything's there. And you just, that, that culture, like the way Dave chooses the people to work there, chooses the riders everyone's working their backside off and that filters through to your training. You know, Mm -hmm. you go out and train, you're like, well, I'm not going to sandbag today because I can see all these other guys, you know, Tim Kerrison, the coach, like our version of Olaf, Mm -hmm. like he's there every day following us. You know, I mean, there's just a a commitment to excellence across the board. Exactly. So you feel compelled to show up for that. Yeah. Yeah. And and back in the, the, the marginal gains was not like the Norwegian, like the science so much, you know, there was no, there was no lactate testing or no VO2 testing. We've, we actually never do any of that. And I will say like, unless you know what you're doing, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You're better off working hard. Um, but it was like chefs, it was, you know, mattresses, pillow, you know, things to help you sleep, you know, investing heavily in, in massage therapy, you know, the best, the best carers, et cetera. And, but also I think listening to, to him talk and then comparing it to Tim, like the, the way that, he kind of, he's close, you know, as in it's like, uh, you know, like a a fan, you know, really keeps an eye on them, very much a part of their lives, but obviously needs to keep a level of, to be able to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And that is identical to Tim Kerrison. You know, Mm -hmm. like he was always there. He was, he's been a part of all our lives. Like we've all got married, we've all had kids, you know, like he's been, you know, a part of all that. Yet when the time comes, he knows when to say, you got to go and do this, you know, yeah. or, or come down on you or, or whatever else. And, and also that, that most people don't want all those good guys challenging them, you know, I mean, the good guys want to be, but he created that environment where it was normal for like, you know, Geraint or Froomey mm-hmm. or Richie Port to be like, Proving they're stronger than each other. Right. No, got, nobody's king for no. more than a day. Like it's no. all, it's it, nobody's resting on it. Like normally, typically, historically in pro cycling, like if you won the tour or, you know, you're just, you, you can be expected to be the leader the following year. And yeah. my sense is that that's not really the case. No, there, you know, no. And perhaps, you know, I'm, that must have caused issues or friction with, you know, Froome and Garen at times and like yep. not knowing who is the team leader yep. and all of that. Yep. Oh, absolutely it did. I mean, obviously there was Bradley and Chris, and, right. which was a big yeah, one. Yeah. And, 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 and then obviously when Garrett won, I mean, Froome, he was peeved, you know, yeah. like- he, he And won, even he this won. year for Garrett, like yeah. not sort of, it, it just feels like he's not being accorded the respect on some level. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not- Exactly, what he's done. I mean, he just got third. Yeah, yeah. And he's not gonna race the tour this year. No, he's off to the Giro, yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, partly a bit of that might be his choice, but again, it does come down to, well, okay, we'll have to go back to the drawing board and see mm. how we're going to try and win it, you know? And in any other team, that I mean, performance it, it's would be ruthless. Wow, you got third, right? Okay, yeah. that's that's built on that, you know, try and get you back to the top. So it's a tension between, uh, you know, that kind of like ruthlessness that comes with uh, performing at just, you know, the absolute next level of everything. Yeah. But also a big part of the success has to be the esprit de corps, like creating kind of a, you know, that, that team unity. I feel yeah. like that's a role that you play and, and probably why, you know, a big part of why they want you around. Like, yeah, yeah you're a great exerciser or whatever, yeah. and you can, you're a great super domestique, but, mm. but um, my sense is that like people like having you around and you, you make the team better just, not just by your performances, but also by your personality. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things personally, I've always thought like, you know, a, a player that makes the team great can be, is as valuable as a great player. Um, and, and I've always, I always in rowing wanted to be the worst guy in the boat because that meant that everyone had to be better than me. So then mm. we had a great crew. And, and same on this, I love being number 30 because the harder I train, the better I am, better 29, 29 yeah. other guys have to be. Um, you know, but yeah, Tom Pidcock sort of nicknamed me, you know, CMO, Chief Morale Officer. Uh-huh. Um, because, and, and I think that like Roubaix, for example, is a great example, you know, I mean, I wasn't meant to do it, obviously. The team was hot, you know, they were winning everything. And all of a sudden they decided to send me in. I don't know who it was that made that call, you know, thought, wow, that's bringing the-, the Let's you put know, the triathlon on the, fr- the triathlete <laughs> on the front to lead us onto the yeah. cobble section. I, like, I mean, I remember like, like I, I went in and um, <laughs> I did a race during the week and I thought I was going for that. And, uh-huh. and the team won that, Magnus Sheffield won that. And then they had the team for Roubaix. And then they, you know, a couple of days later, they said, oh, Cameron, maybe just stay a couple of days, just do the recon, just in case, you know? And I was like, oh, why not? You know, I've never really seen those cobbles. You know, I'll go and check it all out. And you'd never done that race before? Uh, I had, I'd done it in 2010, but it was a long, long time ago. Mm. So, and back then, you know, you had tubular tires and, you know, aluminum rims and very different, you know, bikes. And uh-huh. it, I, it was a very different memory apart from being very painful. And, th- so it was, it was very, I was intrigued to see sort of how it'll work now with tubeless tires, disc brakes, you know, completely different. Anyway, so I, I went and did the recon and then, you know, they came and said, listen, we'd like you to race if that's, if you're happy with that. And I mm-hmm. said, well, I've got nothing else to do on Sunday. I may as well. And so, um, you know, y- you come in and, and, and I, it did. I mean, I, I guess it, it provided a different spark. Like the team had been so hot, they'd been winning, but how do you sort of keep it there? You know, and as it turned out, I mean, that was then the last, that was the last race we won that spring. So mm-hmm. who knows, maybe someone had sensed, look, the, I don't know, the, the drive is sort of maybe just a bit, you know, we need something else to change it. And, and I kind of feel like that a lot when I turn up because I'm not meant to necessarily be part of the A, you know, the first picked. But when they throw me in, it's like a different conversation at the table. You know, I mean, the guys all seem genuinely happy to see me there and, um, it's like a player coming off the bench, isn't uh-huh. it? You know, in football, yeah, you know, sometimes like they can hitter. change the game. Exactly, mm-hmm. a pinch hitter. Like they right. come in, they can change the game. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to bump my own horn or pat myself on the back, but I kind of feel like I, I do have that uh, opportunity to play that role in this team just uh-huh. by having a good attitude. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all good athletes. We're all pretty similar. There's not a big difference between anyone. We all train the same. We all hit the same numbers. You know, we're all basically the same weight. We're on the same bikes. 
Yeah, I mean, Mike Riley says it the best, doesn't he? You know, there's so much stuff out there in sport and life that you can't control. The only thing you can control is your attitude. Uh-huh. And I just try and make sure that that's a, I mean, it costs nothing for it to be a positive one. Yeah, well, you're, you definitely have a positive attitude. And, and I, I, I imagine the fact that you can go off and do Ironmans and then come back to the team keeps it fresh for you and it doesn't start to feel like a slog. Yeah. Cause like, you know, those Belgian winters and like, I mean, it sounds brutal. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it, like it's sexy, like, oh my God, Grand Tours and all of that. But the day-to-day yeah. of being a professional cyclist, yeah, uh, especially when you're not, you know, a Froome or a Garant, like yeah. it's, a, it's a hard life. Yeah, well, I went through that. I went through the part of you think you might become it and then the realization that you're not. Uh-huh. And you're just one of like a good team, on a good team, you know, and, and yeah, it's lonely. You know, yeah. I, I, it was hard to meet anyone. I mean, your lifestyle is, you're all over the place. And yeah, I mean, I, I'd had enough. And I right. mean, I'm, I'm glad I had the courage to just say, listen, that's fine. I'm, I'm just not cut out for this. It's not, it's not, I'm not good enough, you know, to, to be where I want to be. And I want to put my effort into something constructive with my life. And uh-huh. yeah, to having, and it's, and it's, and back to that story about, you know, Ethan, um, who I was going to work with, he, he's actually been to Kona every year, obviously to support me, you know? Wow. So that's yeah, the, been a the really job nice... offer is still like an open door, right? I was actually in there. He, <laughs> he, he raised that fund, they uh-huh. sold that fund and, and then uh, he's doing one more. And I actually spent the day in the office with him on Tuesday with the new team. He'd like me to be in, you know, this one, because obviously who knows how long I'll compete for. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've always wanted to work or do something in that world. And he obviously is one of my biggest supporters. You know, he wants to see me try and win Kona. So he's not gonna not <laughs> say, listen, you. come yeah. and get in the, you gotta I'm strap yeah. you to that chair. We'll put a bike under the, under the chair, under the desk and you can pedal away. Obviously sports to the focus, but he's given me the opportunity to come in at the foundation part of a new fund, which is, mm. you know, quite an opportunity with some great people. and. And, and just have something different going on in your brain. You know, I'm 39 now, you know, I don't, you go to a race and, and, and the guys are, you know, some of them are talking about Pokemon for crying out loud. Like it's a, it's a different generation, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, it's nice to have, you know, I'm gonna read, you know, I read a lot of books. I've actually just started reading yours mm. and um, I read a lot, you know, as much as I can. And, you know, now I'll just be reading some, you know, uh, real Finance. estate, real estate, <laughs> yeah, okay. you know, financial reports. You're going to pull things. a Simon Garens. Yeah, pretty much. I don't, it, it doesn't matter if you're motivated and excited about it. I think that's the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and continue to learn. I mean, life's about learning, isn't it? Well, I think you got a lot more to do in sport and we're yeah. going to get to next chapters in a little bit. But while we're here in the, in the present, um, in what you just shared, what struck me is the fact that on the one hand, you're arguably the world's greatest endurance athlete from a versatility perspective. Yeah. Like, you know, the fact that you've done what you've done in rowing, cycling and triathlon, like it's pretty extraordinary. The only person that comes to mind that might challenge you for that crown is Sheila Taramina. Do you remember her? Yeah, you, you're too oh, young probably, no, but she- I was just thinking born to run that, born, that sort of word, but it's not that. No, yeah. no, no. This was an athlete who competed in four Olympics and three sports. Wow, okay. Swimming, I think she won a gold on a relay and yeah. then triathlon. I think okay. she went to two, two Olympiads in triathlon mm-hmm. and then she competed in the Olympics in, in modern pentathlon. Wow. Which is like where you, 
Yeah, you're like, you're like, you're horse, like riding. horse riding and you shoot a gun and mm. uh, you know, like a totally different thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty fucking badass. I don't yeah. know if anybody's ever matched that, but no. in current times and, and, and certainly in present times, like to me, you wear that crown. And yet at the same time, you're still like not the best at any of these things. But what I see and what, what I think is really laudable is a very conscious effort to to always be surrounding yourself with people that are better than you at what they do. Yeah. And so you've had this incredible career where you're in you're you're like in the company of the world's greatest mm. in the things that you love the most. And yeah. so I guess the question that I have is like what is it about those people that make them special or different when you look at Froome and when you look at when you look at Garrett and you know Richie Port and these guys like is there a commonality are there themes across uh, the way that these individuals operate that distinguish them from the others because you as you said like everybody weighs the same everybody trains just as hard yeah. certainly there are genetic differences etc but from perhaps a mental perspective or just a, a level of professionalism that they bring to what they do, like mm. what have you learned that has helped you level up as an athlete? Well, I guess it really, well, it hit home seeing it, but if I can just briefly bring the Norwegians into it and it's something that I'd actually done for a long, like these marathons they'll do the weekend mm -hmm. before, you know, I mean, I. I often did those sessions, everyone laughed at me, you know, it was like, you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Obviously they come and do it, then they perform. Now where I'm getting to that is, if you haven't done it in training, you're not gonna do it in a race. And what I saw when I started training with Chris was that, I'll give you an example. We're in Chattel at that camp in between the Tour and the Vuelta. So he's just won the Tour in pretty great shape. Uh -huh. I've never seen him train like that for that three weeks. You know, he just was, flying, you know, he'd recovered well from the tour for a week and then he just got back into it. And Tim loved devising a race simulation type effort. Uh -huh. And it was often a climb followed by a section that would then lead to a final climb. At a so, period uh, in the year where most people are taking a break or doing base training. If you're doing yeah. the welter after the tour, you're like, look, I've done enough training. Yeah. I'm just gonna absorb it and I'm gonna to get to the, the welter and I'll be Rested. nice and fresh and mm. I'll have some strength there and I'll probably do very well, uh, not for Umi. And so he's, he's devised this, this workout. It was, we went and he's like, right, Chris will do this climb. He's gonna do it at threshold. So you wait at the top because you know, you'll get dropped. So I went up ahead and then there was like a, a 10K pretty flat section, sort of false flat. He said, now you're gonna go threshold there and he's gonna be on your wheel. So mm. he. He gets a break, but he doesn't really get a break. He's still gonna be around you know, 300, 350 watts just holding your wheel, so keep the pressure on. And then we're gonna chuck a right, and we're gonna go up this brick wall, like 20%, he's gonna go up there flat out, because that's the finish. And it was to simulate the first mountain stage in the Vuelta, which happened to be actually in Andorra where I live. So mm -hmm. now I do that climb all the time. So anyway, I, off I went, I went ahead, and I'm waiting for Chris. Tim comes up in the car, he's like, right, he's coming, You know, get ready, so get ready get in the right spot, got him on the wheel. We're coming and, you know, we're coming along a road and a main road and it's about to intersect a major, the major road. And it's just like, all we had to do was sort of, you know, come onto it, you know, veer onto it and then go along about two, 300 meters and he hit this other climb. Mm -hmm. And next thing we're a few, a K or so from, from that point and Tim goes past and we're like, yeah, whatever. 
And we get to this road, this intersection where we start, we better look for cars. And there's the Team Sky car blocking the traffic. Like he has uh-huh. parked this thing in the middle of the road, like right in the middle. You could not, there's cars parked up. <laughs> and, he, and he's standing on the other side like this, like a policeman stopping people. So we just ping it straight through this intersection. These cars honking and hollering. You know, I keep towing through me, chucks the right, goes up this climb and I creep up it at my own pace. But it just, it's an example it's an example first, you've got a guy here that is so good, yet he's prepared to put himself through that in training still. He's mm-hmm. just won four Tour de France's. Right. And, and then he's, he's gone through and done this. And obviously then you fast forward a couple of weeks, first stage of the world, so you know what happens. He, he didn't win the stage, Nibali won, because it actually had a descent. Nibali got back and, and got him in a, a sprint, but for him he went into red and never relinquished the lead. Mm-hmm. You know, he blew the rest of the field away. Nibali had already lost time. And I was watching on TV, just going, okay, here we go. Yeah, okay, now he's going to do this. Bang, you did it, you yeah. know. And, and then obviously with Geraint then after that, you know, it was, and, and even, you know, with Richie as well, when we'd be back in Australia with Tim coaching him. Um, yeah, there's just been so many examples of like this simulated, simulated work um, that, you know, it's, they go to a race and all they have to do is, you know, there's always been this talk of the sky train you know, we were in Tenerife and we all lined up and that was before I was on the team. That was when I was just training with them and I'd have my spot in the line. Often it was the first guy. Sometimes I'd be stronger than a few of the guys on the team. So I might be two or three back mm-hmm. and it's the full lead out, you know, and then you have at the end, you know, Froome or G or whoever, you know, racing it out to the top, you know, and and that was common, you know, Tim Kerrison would would improvise that, which is exactly what Olaf does with the, with the boys, you know, yeah. it's, it's if you haven't done it in training, you will not do it in a race. Yeah, it's that simple. Yet these endurance sports, I think forever in a day, you'd be very hard pressed to find people that would be like, "Yeah, I'm going to go and do that," because it's like, no, you just got to put the hours in, and then it all comes mm-hmm. together on race day. Right. Well, you know what? It doesn't. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it, it doesn't. So well, that's that a be, that's a lesson. That a good they, answer. That's yeah, I think that's a really good answer. I mean, basically, like they're. I mean, the, sh- the, sh- the short version of that is they're not fucking around, no. right? And uh, they're very intentional about everything that they're doing. Mm. Um, and, and Am I allowed to bring a swimming one? A in? what? A swimming story? Yeah. It's a bit controversial. So that first time I trained with Chris, I, that was when we decided, Tim Kerrison said, you know, we want to come back to the cycling. I said, I'd like to do try it. He said, okay, well, we've got to teach you to swim. And you got to remember after Tim had been a rowing coach, he went to swimming and he was with the mm-hmm. Australian Olympic team in Athens, Beijing. And then he went to British swimming and then that's how he ended up in Team Sky. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So he, all of his friends that's, were that's, from a This guy's background. like perfect for you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So I've trained with Chris, you know, and, and then on the last day, he's like, right, I'm going to drive. He lived up on Mount Tambourine, which is about 40 minutes from, from the beach. And he's like, right, I'm going to take you to my friend, swimming coach. I rock up to Dennis Cottrell's squad and Sun Yang's there. Mm. So I get in the pool, you know, and I haven't swum really much in, you know, years. Like it's just like, it was like something we were thinking about doing and I'm, I'm swimming with him. So that first year when I'm in Australia, I get to go along and train with, with Sun Yang. Anyway, one night he was doing 200s and on the last one, Dennis said, right, he's, watch this, you know, he's going to go out pretty hard, he'll have a look at the clock with 50 to go and he'll decide whether he goes for it. And he, and he swam like a 146 something, you know, like not far off the world record uh-huh. at the time, but you just <laughs> saw like 
he got to about 30 meters from the wall. You know, uh-huh. he'd obviously had a glance at the clock to see and the kick and the water just went freaking everywhere. Okay. And I know Sun Yang's not a great, you know, there's obviously been the controversy about him, but it's the same principle. And swimming is, I think, one of the best examples of it, as you know. Like those guys, they're breaking world records in training. They go to a race and they know they're mm-hmm. going to do it. And I just think in endurance sport, there's been some of these outliers that have been prepared to put themselves through that because it's a bit different than hurting yourself for a minute 46. Right. You know, Christian right, right, and Gustav right. have to go and run a 240 marathon. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> it's but a bit of a different you're, thing. You're like this weird Forrest Gump type character where you're like, oh, I gotta learn how to swim a little bit. And then boom, like, you know, like, a, like a, the most elite person just appears in your- It was you know, the first person's feet like Everywhere you on. go, like yeah. the people show up that you need yeah. to like kind of get you to the next thing. Like mm. the, it's, a, it's a weird series of happenstances that have kind of created the lattice work of your career. Yeah, and Bradley Wiggins once said to me that, you know, until you've got everything lined up, like everything is perfect, your team, your family, your support, you know, network, everything. Don't even bother putting everything into it because you'll never be as good as you could be. But once you've got that, you've got like two or three years and make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had to build, you know, build my way through another sport, you know, pick and, you know, and another like the swimming obviously is a bit my Achilles heel, you know, in the sport of triathlon, as you know, the dynamics of all that changes a lot. All of a sudden, like a Magnus Ditlev, you know, he can swim quite well, he can get to the front, he can be provide apply his cycling. You know, if I'm if I swim well in a race, I'm I'm normally on the front foot and it's it's up to me to kind of lose. Right. If I swim poorly, I don't like what happened in Kona, I'm not even in the race. Yeah, which I, is, I mean, that's new. It used to be you really could get away with not could, being a swimmer. You get exactly. the wetsuit on and it like, yeah. it just coddles the non-swimmer. It does. And, you know, the gaps, you know, the swim's not long enough to really be substantial in terms Blow of making a, a, a big difference. But now you really have to be, you, you have to excel in all three. Like you can't get away with it anymore. No, and, and one big thing was in Andorra, we had a, we, in 2018, we had a, a a 50 meter pool that they shut it to re- repair it. Spent two years renovating it and then they had a fire. So it just reopened. And it's saying something uh-huh. I've been waiting for. It's like, right, once that pool opens, I can get into my swimming. Once that pool, yeah. anyway, finally now it's reopened. So I've got a, a, a wife, beautiful wife, you know, she's studying, she's doing a master where she was until she had our boy at the start of COVID, but she's almost finished a master in holistic nutrition, you know, leaves a fantastic lifestyle and keeps the fuel tank, you know, as perfect as she possibly can be in the house, you know, great support, you know, little boy, I've got this support network of the team. And now, you know, I've got Brett Kirby at Nike that, you know, does all my running, um, you know, who obviously is involved with Kipchoge and everything else. Mm And and now I've got my part of the, pool. the the sub two, the original project. one, yeah, yeah uh-huh. the original one. So he did all that, and then of course he was part of the Ineos the second time yeah. around. Not not as much. That was more Ineos. What is it with Ineos that they're just? I mean, best cycling team, Formula One, Kipchoge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim just wants to win all the biggest events. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and it's like stuff that he loves Africa. I mean, that I think is a lot of, you know, the with, with Elliot and, and they've also, they've expanding that. So that's fascinating you bring that up because Elliot, he's like, we've got all these, we've got all the, and I'm actually due to go to Elderat soon. There's 
we've got all these guys that are great runners. They can run a 204 or 205. They'll never win the Olympics, but they've got amazing engines. They might be great cyclists. Uh-huh. So he said to Jim, how about you, you know, how about we invest? And I think Elliot invested in it too, in a cycling academy. And so they've built this center up there next to the running group and they're going to see if they can It's develop. pretty cool. Yeah, I've heard yeah. a little bit about that. I, yeah. think, I think that's like really cool. Yeah, and when yeah. they get injured and they can't run anymore, like mm-hmm. why waste this engine? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about some of the most phenomenal athletes on the planet, right? you know? So, so Jim loves, certainly loves Africa and is fantastic he supports in that way. You know, the, the Americans Cup thing, they've never won that, you know, mm. that's like a yeah, real the other one, right. opportunity yeah. for him to, you know, fund something and back something that, you know, brings that to Britain that they'd never had before. Um, and then obviously he's got his passion in, you know, other in soccer, in football, you know, he's now talking about buying Manchester United, et cetera, involved in the All Blacks, the cycling team. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he's just uh, passionate about sport and, and I think he was a big Brexiteer, you know, and moved to Monaco and was saving a lot of money in, in, in tax. And he said, well, you know what? I'm going to invest all that in sport. You know, he literally invest, has invested billions in British mm. sport. Mm. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're all very it's fortunate wild. to benefit yeah. from that. Yeah. Mm. Um, in mm. thinking about, uh, you know, what, what makes you different, like what your distinguishing talents are, I mean, you're, willingness to suffer and your love of just, you know, getting out there and getting after it, like with just unreal consistency is a big part of it. And, and I, you know, in thinking about that, I I start thinking about like rowing and like what you learned as a young person, as a rower. Um, And then my, you know, my path in swimming, like I think even, even though like rowing and swimming are very different sports, um, one thing that they, they share in common is that they're like workhorse sports. Like they're sports that reward you for putting in a tremendous amount of work and volume. Yeah. And it's kind of insane because you you literally train like almost as much as like a tour cyclist for yeah. races that are anywhere from, you know, 20, 19 seconds to yeah. three, five minutes. You know, I don't know how long the longest ones in rowing are, but yeah. they're not that long, Six right? Minutes, yeah. But you develop this capacity to, you know, push yourself. Uh, very hard, and you develop that kind of engine that then becomes uh, applicable in these other sports. Like you can kind of, you know, use it in different ways. And you're the, you know, the the shining example of deploying it in different ways. Yeah, I, I even as a 17, 18 year old, I used to <clears throat> have six hour Saturdays, you know, and we'd go rowing in the morning. <laughs> I'd go home, you know, maybe 90 minutes. I'd go home, do some weights, maybe an hour, and whatever I had left, I did on the bike. You know, and so, you know, at that age, I'd be on the bike for, you know, but, but rowers, it's one speed. And so uh-huh. every single Saturday, you just come home, barely making it. I mean, you cross-eyed, you have no idea how to fuel yourself and nutrition and, and whatever else. So that's actually not a great habit to get into. You know, it took a while to learn mm. that's not smart because then the next day you're destroyed yeah. and you, you, you cannot train, but but absolutely, I mean, in rowing, it's, I mean, people ask what your favorite, you know, what was the hardest or whatever. And I always say, well, they're all pretty challenging, but rowing obviously gave me great foundation, you know, and, and I think uh, like swimming, to have the dedication to train for that many hours, knowing that you're gonna compete for such a short period of time, it kind of makes what I do now, like 
half the time I feel like I haven't done enough. You know, mm. like you go for a run like today, you just, you know, you ride for four and a half hours and do some efforts and go for a run, do a few efforts for an hour. And you feel like, oh gosh, but I've got to run a marathon when I race. Like, mm. is this going to be enough? You know, <laughs> um, whereas in, when you're rowing or swimming, you know, you're There's always- There's no question. Way, yeah, yeah, you're always you're so beyond that. You're like, right. why on earth are we doing this again today? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I still think that. I still think there's a lot of craziness. Yeah, but then the I mean, great thing with rowing, like it really does touch every part of your physical physiology, mm-hmm. you know, but particularly that anaerobic capacity, obviously. And, and that's, that's all, if you've got that, it's easy to build the other end. You right. know, I mean, it's, uh, if you got the hard part, you know, it's like, then, you know, the base is the, the potential for the base is so much bigger. And so, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. That's what builds a VO2. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. funny. The guys talk about their VO2 being smaller, you know, um, as far as doing Ironman as opposed to doing ITU, you uh-huh. know, and, and it was very interesting to watch mine. Like, you know, rowing was here. I started cycling, it dropped back. And then as I got better, I progressed it a bit. Um, and now, yeah, it's sort of fallen a little bit, but to be honest, not a lot. Um, I guess maybe I train a bit, you know, in that zone, maybe more than most guys still. Um, because I'm used to it. I don't know. At a higher zone, you mean? Yeah, uh-huh. potentially. You know, I mean, and you I, did have a little flirtation with ITU at one point. Yeah, right? very, like, very, yeah. very brief. So you must have boosted it back uh, up for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did some hard running and, and everything else, but that's just another sport. I mean, mm. what those guys do, it's yeah, groundbreaking. You know, I mean, it's, mm. uh, but having said that, you know, if you come from it, you know, you've got the muscle memory. I don't have it. I was trying to develop it at like 36, 37. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Something yeah. that I'd never had, you know, running that quick or swimming that quick. And, but I thought, well, if I'm a good triathlete, I should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the case. And it's, it's fascinating. Well, you're, Cause you're be going sense. in reverse. I mean, most of those guys that you start with the speed and you build the endurance on top of that. Yeah. Which is you're like going I from the endurance running. and going back, trying to go back to the, the fast. Yeah. And but it just blew my mind. Like, how you can, and that I, I believe I'm pretty good at Iron Man and can be so bad at that, <laughs> you know, when yeah. it's still swim, bike, run. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I won't do any more. The various like body composition changes that you must have experienced yeah. by, you know, being in these three different sports has got to be super interesting. I was listening to uh, you talking with Garrett on his podcast about um, some changes. Like people think of you incorrectly as just this, uh, you know, tour cycle, pro cyclist, world tour. Uh, obviously, you know, excels on the bike leg, but they're not appreciating the fact that you can run a 244 marathon. Like you're, yeah. you know, and 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 running. There's still so much room for for you to improve because yeah. it just doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And I know that you're shifting that with what you're doing with the, the, the you know, Kipchoge's coach and all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were talking about how, when you really started to double down a little bit on, on your running that you actually gained muscle mass on your legs yeah. where you would think going from cycling legs to more running, you're gonna slim down and get actually leaner. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit like rowing. I was quite lean then and you you build muscle, but then when you become efficient, cause I look at- Then Alist- it leans out. You yeah. lean out. I look at Alistair Brownlee, he's like a rake or even Sam Laidlow, he's right. quite fine, but they swim so, pe- you think how, and I in, in, in swimming, I'm kind of, you know, I've come into the sport, my lats have come back, my back, 
has come back. But when I'm swimming well, I finally start to, you know, trim out a bit because, you know, I get more efficient in the water. Mm-hmm. And the same thing when I had to really apply myself to running back at the beginning of 19, you know, where I was first doing those 100K weeks, I just actually got heavier. I just kept getting heavier and heavier, more muscle mass, more muscle mass. And then when I finally started getting on top of the training after a few months, then they find down again. And so it's, I've always remained around that 70, 72 kilogram marker, but the sort of weight just has kind of shifted. You mm. know, obviously when I went to cycling, it was very similar. You know, you built muscle on the legs and obviously you lost it up top and then you find down on the legs as well. So I was able to be a bit lighter then. But now when I came into obviously triathlon, as soon as you start swimming, you know, mm-hmm. your body's like, wow, I need muscle. So it grows and, but you know, I'm starting to get to a point I feel where I'm getting more efficient and, and I'll start to sort of lean down, which is how I'll get myself to the optimal composition to be able to do the optimal race that I dream about doing. Right, you, know? you have to be <clears throat> in this, but you've got to be in this, in this state where you're able to excel as a cyclist and a, and a triathlete mm. at any given moment, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's not an idealized state for either of them. You have yeah. to find like, uh, you know, a way of like merging those two things so that you can. I have to accept that I'm gonna be as good as I can be in cycling. You know, I mean, to me, Ironman is the priority. That's uh-huh. the one I wanna win at. And fortunately, you know, I can, turn up to a bike race and contribute, you know, I'm good enough that I'm better than a lot of guys that do a similar role um, without really having to do anything specific to do that, you know, and, and to try and then utilize that to benefit the Ironman. And yeah, okay, at this point, I probably haven't quite seen it. Having said that, you know, I've ridden some pretty quick bike splits and run pretty well for the past couple of years or few years. Uh, but it's, yeah, I thought it'd be easier, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think COVID's kind of changed everything. You know, I mean, my first race back, I did the race in Australia and then I ran 30K afterwards. And I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. You know, I'm going <laughs> to, this is just going to be the most perfect, you know, like hard brick sessions. You know, you do a hard race, you're on your hands and knees, and then you got to figure out how to run. You know, and, and then you when get I get that to opportunity an, to run on really tired, legs. really, really yeah. tired legs. Like that's like a real privilege, you yeah. know, like it's something my t- peers don't get to do. And if I can train myself to do that, you know, get into a race, no matter what happens, I'll be ready for that. Uh-huh. You know, I'll be ready to absolutely bury myself if I have to, to get into it. And then or be prepared to try and put them under pressure, knowing that, you know what, I, I, you're, I mean, I know I'm taking the edge off you, but that's gonna bring you close to my mark so I can actually race you now, even though mm-hmm. I know you're a better runner. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I'm in it now. I gotta believe that it's the right thing because that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm faced with. The, uh, the differences in culture between triathlon and, and professional cycling are, are uh, you know, significant mm. on some level. Are they not like, mm. uh, with the exception of the story you just told about Froome and like, you know, pinning that climb. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, five to eight hour rides with coffee stops when you're a cyclist, yeah. you know, it seems relatively laid back and at times maybe from a bird's eye view, not, as structured as yeah. one might think, yeah. whereas triathletes tend to be, you know, staring at their garments constantly and losing their minds over data points, and you know, kind of perhaps not seeing the forest for the trees. Like they, yeah. they, they, they it seems the, the approach seems very different. Like, how do you think about that? Or 
Yeah, fitting in, fitting in yeah. the day. You know, like yeah. fitting everything into the day is difficult. You know, and that, and I think that's another point you make about the guys. That's another quality those guys particularly have. Is, you know, Chris. I've been with Chris on a general ride. You know, six seven hours in Tenerife, and we've been going so slow we get passed by people with panniers on their bikes like cyclo tourists you know it's like the day in between his hard day and it's more like training himself active recovery you know Mm -hmm. he's like got to be on his bike he's got to recover because he knows a big stage is coming up and then the next day he'll come down to breakfast with you know like a one of those little gel shot flask things but he fills it up with like three espressos because you know for his last you know super threshold effort you know he needs a booster like Uh to him it's like race day you know so you're right i mean i'd say almost half the time cycling's pretty relaxed pretty cruisy and when the guys are like, oh, do you want to stop whatever? I'm like, uh, yeah, well, but if I don't get going, I mean, I got to get to the pool before it closes or, <laughs> you know, I want to run. I got to run before the sun goes down or, uh-huh. you know, so I can actually make it to dinner. But <clears throat> as far as the technical element of it, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, I don't, it's, it's strange because it's on, it seems to be on very different tangents, you know, I mean, it, to me, I, the triathletes would worry about stuff that I wouldn't even think you'd need to worry about. And the cyclists worry about, you know, numbers at a whole sort of different level because that's the level they race at. So to me, you'd think like worrying about, you know, your efficiency at 300 watts or something, it's like pointless because I spend all my time with cyclists and it's uh-huh. like, you know, that's sort of just a given, you right. know, I mean, you know, that's race, already taken care of. It's already yeah. sort of taken care of. So, um, yeah, I and and I mean even in Andorra, you know, I'm being the only one there for a long time. Jan's recently moved there, and and not that I've had much to do with him, but I'm really excited because Hayden Wild's moving there. Mm. You know, and I you know probably one of the best, one of Christian's biggest rivals. You know, and Gustav for the Olympics, um, and, and a great even, guy. Uh, Basso lives there, right? Sorry, doesn't Ivan Basso? No, no, he lived in Italy. I used to oh. train with him when I was at Liquid Gas. So where I lived in Italy. I used to train with him, uh-huh. but in Andorra, I mean, there's everyone, you know, Tom yeah. Pidcock. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, we've got 20 riders from our team um, that are living there. Wow. You know, a bunch of movie star guys, you know, a bunch of guys from Jumbo. I mean, every team, Trek, you know, Julian Alaphilippe. I mean, we've got, I mean, a bunch of MotoGP guys. It's one of those great environments, I guess, probably like Boulder was back in the day where mm-hmm. you just, all these, everyone's good. And, you know, the days you sort of feel like, oh, gosh, I'm a bit tired. I don't really want to do it. <clears throat> you, you just have to look around, see who's doing it. And you're like, well, I got to do it. You know, uh-huh. it has that it has that real feel for it. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've never been, I've never really fallen into the triathlete way of doing things. And I've never really trained with triathletes because of it, I think, because the odd time I've done a couple of sessions, like I've been with Yarn or whatever, it is so different to how I do things, mm. you know. I mean, but just you, the that's whole... always been the case for you, though, right? You've pretty always much. been kind of not necessarily contrarian, but but pretty clear on on a way of doing things that works for you. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily fit any kind of program or modality that anybody else is doing. Like, where does that confidence come from? Do you even like? Okay, so you're working with the guy at Nike on your running, but like, yeah. do you even have a coach? Yeah, not like a specific who's overseeing one. everything what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, I mean Tim Kerrison, but they kind of had a the whole breaking to the second time around between Nike and Ineos was a bit of a was a bit yeah there was there was you know 
Nike sort of didn't uh, didn't do it again for because they didn't feel like you know the reason they did the first one was to teach Elliot or to help Elliot believe that he could run that quick and they felt the next time he would do it would be in a race. Right. So when Ineos came in and put it on, Nike were a bit blindsided by it and you know, there was a bit of funny feeling there and I kind of got caught the crossfires with Kerrison and, and, and Brett. So they, they actually didn't correspond a lot. So, you know, for I was, I'm pretty much like a, uh, like an NFL team, you know, like offense and defense and, you know, Kerrison's probably got the offense with the swimming and the riding. And then, you know, Brett's stuck with the defense and, uh, and often in the NFL, I hear they don't really communicate either. Yeah. But that's not, you know? a, that's not <laughs> great for you. Yeah, it works. It does. You know, I mean, yeah, I think it kind of pushes me a bit because, you know, Brett's just purely there. How can I make you a better runner? Obviously, he has an understanding. He sees what I do in everything else. Right. And he has a picture of what I'm doing training-wise. But but often even Tim said, look, that's make the running the structure. So you tell me whatever you got going on with Brett and then I'll build everything else in around that. And, yeah. And, I, and for me, I guess, like you say, this – when I was rowing, I hated just being the rower. I always wanted to be a bit different. You know, I didn't wanted to be the different one. That was how I got in my mind about one day wanting to do cycling. You know, I was just going to change sports, you know, uh-huh. and, and prove that I could do it. And I, I did that. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I went through that. And now back in triathlon, it's like, well, I don't want to be like the rest. I want to do pro cycling too, like be a little bit different. And um, so I guess with everything I do, if it was like everyone else, I probably wouldn't like that yeah you know I, I, you, you've got like a some kind of like problem with authority you know yeah. <laughs> that, that you know ha, has you pushing back I mean I guess what I'm thinking is you know I've seen cases where in in the triathlon context let's say you know somebody hires Jerry to be their swim coach yeah and then they go out and they find a cycling coach and then they yeah. find a running coach and they're speaking to these three different people yeah. independently yeah. and those people all know that one discipline very well yeah. and they know how to get you great at that yeah. but if they're not communicating with each other this is going to be a disaster because you don't have a holistic plan for how to be the best triathlete you're going to be and you're going to get injured or you're going to overtrain or something's going to go sideways go wrong yeah i mean fortunately i i've never really had any injuries and you know i think we made a pretty good impact on the sport you know i mean yeah so i mean that just makes it all the more like i don't know remarkable but also baffling to yeah me. <laughs> yeah no it does baffle me too that we we work it out but like i said i mean it, it just means that they're only worrying about their thing and um and they're, I mean, they're all like, I mean, we're talking about the best of the best people here too. You know, know. It's, it's pretty yeah. easy to trust what they're saying and believe in it. And I think it also pushes me a little bit too. I mean, if they, you have one person that was worried, oh, you just ran hard. So maybe we should back this off. Often it's like, oh, am I going to be able to get through that ride and then deal with that threshold run? Mm. But you, you find a way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you look at where the sport's going now, I mean, yeah, even that race I told you about, you know, earlier on that I had to qualify for Kona in Spain, like last minute popped in to do it. I think I went 752 or 753 that day, like just going through the motions. You know, I mean, back in the old days, That's like nuts. eight hours was, like you said, now in Kona, I was eight hours, which was almost never broken. And now there's 10 guys ahead of me. It's, you've got to, you know, to be competitive in this sport, you've got mm-hmm. to find a way to do it differently because no one's ever done what these guys are doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I've my best, you know, time in an Ironman, when I went 745 in Italy, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of guys went that speed. 
And until that point, and 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 I love that. I love that the people maybe watch me and they go, "Heard I can do that," you know. And as a kid, and I think it came from this. I desperately wanted to go to the Olympics, and no one from my school had ever gone to the Olympics. And Australia isn't the most encouraging society, you know. It's not like like I said about Ethan, how you could win that race in Kona, even though I'd barely done a triathlon. Mm-hmm. You'd, no one in Australia would ever say that to you. It was more like, ah, we'd never had anyone at the Olympics. You're too young, you won't make it. And obviously that really drove me to make it like at a young age. So mm-hmm. I was not far out of school. I obviously made the team. I was able to go back and I didn't go back with my chest puffed out. Like, look what I did. I went back proud as punch that I'd been able to do it. But also to show the guys that, look, I was, as you know, I wasn't any better than half of you guys playing football and being on the mm-hmm. athletics team or swim team or, you know, rowing or whatever I was doing at the school, struggling through my grades. But you, can, you guys can all do this. And since then, my school has had an athlete in every single Olympics in three different sports. Whoa. Your high school. My, my high school. In Tasmania. In Tasmania. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, and it's wow, awesome. I love yeah. that, you know. And and so then, as I said, when I saw this, you know, with with Ironman, when I went seven forty five, since then it's sort of like been the marker that like a bunch of guys like that's just what they aim to do now. You mm-hmm. know, it used to be eight hours, and all of a sudden now it's it's that, and it's uh, it's I I I I kind of feel like the guy that people believe that they could be better than, which is fine. And unfortunately it often is the case. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish I could be the best guy, but it's nice to do it in a way that makes, um, you know, I think helps make the sport better. Yeah, Mm. I mean, that was the sense that I got from talking to Gustav and Christian, like, Mm. yeah, they went in and it was their first one and they laid it down and had these, you know, historic performances. Mm. Uh, But to them, it's like, they're looking at what, didn't go right or what they could improve on. And they seem to be, you know, I'm sure they're very proud, but also like kind of taking it in stride, like, okay, yeah. well, we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Now we know the course, Yeah. you know? Well, to be, to be fair, I mean, when people say how amazing it was and I was, you know, a long way the behind. Conditions were great too. They were, but when I look at it, I said, yeah, well, it's about where I would expect it to be, which is crazy, but I said, even the way I raced, you know, as I said, I was obviously a bit on the back foot. I wasn't you know, quite there, but I kind of expected everyone to blow up, you know, like I've on the run, like mm-hmm. I'll just do what I did in 2019. I'll probably end up fifth, you know, I started the run in fifth and these guys all ripped past me like they did in 19. Like I remember Alistair and Lionel running past and then they just blew up and I just trudged along and came fifth. This time no one blew up, you know, they all, they might've mm-hmm. blown up a bit later on, but they, and and obviously at the front, they definitely didn't. and. And people are like, oh, it's just amazing. I say, well, the course, firstly, the conditions were great. The course is not that hard. You know, the course is quite a fast course. Yeah. If you have, a, you know, if you've got the, the level of conditioning. And if you think about because of the Tokyo Olympics, one of, what the biggest, one of the biggest talking points in sport has been is heat acclimation. Yeah. And to me, I just saw a bunch of people and you had to watch the women as well, that everyone's just learned how to deal with the heat. So it doesn't affect them mm. like it used to. Like Kona, that used to be the big thing. Everyone's got to throwing Kona. up. Nobody could get their nutrition straight. No one yeah. will ever go their fastest yeah. or their best in Kona. Like it's impossible, you know, because of this. And these guys through science, but also through the age we are in sport with, you know, different things. And we can talk about that if you like, like that, are, you know, the forefront now in moving sport forward, endurance sport. But heat acclimation is a big one. 
you know? Mm. And, and those guys had that dialed. I mean, you got mm. the guy that won in Tokyo for starters yeah. and he's training with another guy. So there's two guys, you know, knew everything about it, but if they know about it, of course, all those other guys and mm-hmm. me included, I did training for it, you know, mm-hmm. which I'd never done before. Um, and so, but they, but those guys have Olav and like, mm. who are you looking to, to help you solve those kinds of problems? Yeah, well, the team, I mean, it was funny cause obviously we had guys that went to the Olympics. So Tim Kerrison had some protocols. Uh-huh. I got a sauna at home. So I'd run in the treadmill, jump in the sauna. And to be honest, I actually didn't do much <clears throat> for Kona. I was doing a lot of it the year before when I won Copenhagen, when we thought Kona was gonna happen. Right, you know, that, that was, was, that was I, gonna be your year. That was, that yeah. was everything was on track. Yeah. And then it kind of, this last year was quite dysfunctional and it just never got in the, got in the groove. But it was funny because Brett, you know, Brett Kirby, I said, well, what did you guys do with Elliot? And he said, oh, well, we could send you his jacket if you like. Like they just sent mm. him a jacket. He just ran in a jacket, mm-hmm. you know, and got warm. <laughs> and that was how he did his hate. Yeah. But he didn't do that before, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, that was what he did for Tokyo. So the, that, was, that was like a, a big revolution in endurance sport, to be honest, which mm-hmm. is, 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 is crazy, but it was brought about by the Olympics. And, and obviously um, the guys and the girls took that to Kona and, and now it's, yeah, it's just a, a pretty fast course now as yeah. it should be. You yeah. know, if you look at the, the, and if there's no wind, you're right. gonna see some of the fastest times the ever The pavement's so fast. I've ridden that course so many times. I mean, yep. it, it, you know, if you get lucky with the wind, mm. even the climbs don't feel that no. climby at all. No. You know? No one uses a small yeah. chain ring. No. You know, it, it's and And, it's and quick. It, just watching it, it just looked like these guys are on the rivet like the entire time. Yeah. Like there is no breather. Yeah. Yeah, we're racing. Mm-hmm. And that was always my thing with the sport when I came in. It's like, I wanna turn this into a race so it's exciting. You yeah. know? And, and, and when I'm racing, I feel like I'm always racing because I'm either behind trying to catch up or I'm in front and I'm trying to get further in front. And then on the run, it's like, you know, how do you try and win this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing guys just bubbling along in the pack, you know, and then they run through. I mean, there's a reason why I guess there's only a number of us that people talk about you know, because we, we try and win it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We try and race the race. Yeah. Um, you can be smart and, you know, have a pretty good success rate as far as results go by, you know, playing the game. But um, yeah, it's, it's sport, you're there to compete. So yeah. I prefer to turn it into a race. What's your sense of the state of the union when it comes to doping and anti-doping as somebody who's, you know, look, you're in the pro cycling world, the history of that is what it is. Mm. Um, You know, what does that look like now versus what it was? And what does it look like in triathlon and what are the differences? Well, in theory, we're governed by pretty much the same rules. I mean, cycling imposes a couple of extra little unethical things that, you know, they can't actually test for, but you're not allowed to do it. You know, like um, I guess IVs is a big one, you know, not that we do that in triathlon, but after a triathlon, you know, obviously the medical, the tent, tent, medical the, tent, you right. can have one to rehydrate, et cetera. And it's not frowned upon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whereas in cycling, you know, you have to, but to me, because I started cycling in 2007, you know, the end of the Lance and then 
we had a period there with some crazy results on night, you know, Chera, like, you know, yeah. Dennis Mench off DeLuca. I remember one Giro just, it was just insane watching these guys sprinting against each other. Um, and obviously a bunch of, you know, scandals through there, Puerto, et cetera. The big thing that had to change because if athletes want to cheat, they're going to find a way to do it. You know, the guys that don't cheat are the ones that are most worried because we, if something went wrong, we have no idea why or how mm -hmm. to defend ourselves. But the thing that I saw was it became not acceptable in the sport to cheat from the athletes. You know, it was like, okay, we're going to keep an eye on each other now. And when you're doing the wrong thing, we're going to say something. And you see it. I mean, without having to say any names, you see athletes just disappear mm -hmm. or when they get caught, they're not welcomed back the way other athletes are. You know, some athletes took a ban, but it's like, look, he's good enough to do it clean. He'll come back to a big team. So let me understand. So basically what you're saying is when incidents occur, mm. instead of it ending up on the front page of L'Equipe or whatever and becoming yeah. like a, a global scandal, yeah. you're sort of ushered to the back of a van and like- told No, <laughs> like, I mean, if incidents like, occur, they're, they're dealt with. I mean, if someone's uh -huh. positive, I mean, that's black and white, but it's more if people sense something and they're not discovered, you know, then you you just see athletes sort of exactly. You I know? see. They're not getting caught. Like they're not getting ones. caught, but, pe but the we people know, around them knows. know, and then they're sort of dealt with and dealt dispensed with. with. Exactly. And and that's because, you know, you're, you're potentially affecting a hundred jobs. You know, I mean, I know Jim Radcliffe, for example, if there was some sort of issue with us, that'd be it. The team would be gone, you mm -hmm. know, with, with, with just one athlete. I mean, a, a, a genuine, I mean, I don't think if someone accidentally had a protein powder that was wrong and whatever, but you know, if it was someone got busted for EPO blood doping or, you know, something knowingly trying to cheat, I mean, rightly so, he'd be out of the sport. Uh -huh. And I think that would be the case for most teams. So no one accepts that anymore. Whereas back in the day, I guess there was some sort of continuity <laughs> amongst the processes and what was going on and what was required to succeed, to get the publicity, to get the sponsors in and the cost of all that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I think honestly in triathlon, it's, you know, certainly I've never ever felt at the highest level, you know, when you get to Kona, you know, that you can't compete, you know, I mean, uh, the level is like, wow, okay, I'm either good enough or I'm not. You know, and and I think so. I think Ironman does quite a good job of controlling mm. the athletes, particularly at the pinnacle. You know, I mean, you know, you've I've heard you know sometimes in other races there's some crazy results, but often those guys never show up to Kona. You know, or, or you know, and that's so right. that's sort of right, sort of fine. Um, but but I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is it's the athletes that have you know. You can impose, yes, which it's is a how culture, it be, a culture shift, which is a culture shift, which is all, I think is fantastic, yeah. you know, and that that's all better that, than just the testing getting oh, better. Exactly, the test is trying to figure out how do we mm. keep up because let's face it, I mean, I've obviously never had an issue, and and obviously touch wood, I never mm. do. I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't know why or how, but. I remember, I remember when I went to liquid gas and, and they asked me my blood type, I said, I'll have to call my mum. And they laughed, you know, because that was obviously just after the end of like a blood doping era, you know, Puerto blown up and, and I didn't even know my blood type. Right. They how, knew. Would you, how would you not know that? If how you're would you not, sport, if you were involved you know. in that sort of thing? And so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's only the athletes that can, that can really control it. And, mm -hmm. and fortunately, we've, as a collective, we've, 
we've all decided to do it the right way. And, and, um, and I think that's, you know, very commendable. And the, the, do, is your sense that the, the passports are effective? As a deterrent? Yeah, absolutely, as a yeah. deterrent because there's definitely been guys that have fought it and won and there's guys that have gone down. So mm-hmm. you know that if there's something off, you could get done. So that's for sure a deterrent. I mean, personally, I don't think, oh, this is a test for my passport or, you know, because yeah. I, I wouldn't even know. You get tested often. So it's, you know, here, there and everywhere as far as where your tests go. Uh, whether it's just a random or a passport test or, I mean, every test is recorded, but there's certain ones that are for your passport and not. I mean, when I rock up to Kona, they actually test me twice for some reason because they test me for the cycling passport, which is different to what, you know, triathlon have. Right, so you're doubling up on your testing. Yeah, yeah, I got done twice. (laughs) I get done every year. And and the fact that you were an Olympic rower, like you've been getting tested for as long as any, yeah, like you might be the most tested Oh, athlete. for sure. I'd say 100% I am because wow. coming from Tasmania too, there was, I think, seven Olympians that year and I was the youngest. And the, 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 what, like the Adam, so the whereabouts system, which was quite broad at first, it was basically like, where do you live? Great. Okay. Uh-huh. And you, you put that in a system and they might find you. Obviously, in Tasmania, it was pretty easy for the lady to find me. She went to school with my mum and the whole, you know, <laughs> she'd, she'd, she'd pop up and knew when I was home, she'd call mum and, oh, it's Cameron up too. Oh, okay, great. Yep. Oh, well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And, um, it, but it was quite, but, but I was on there from the very beginning of that system, of that passport mm-hmm. system when I was rowing. And even still up until, uh, I mean, obviously now I'm tested for both sports, but I never ever got taken off the rowing one. I mean, it's only been a few years since I actually had a rowing test as well. Like I was getting randomly tested. From, it was really? Quite, yeah. This many I, years after that, the, yeah. the association. Yeah, well, I guess because I'm on the National Federation, it's just rowing's listed as a sport still because uh-huh. I never like officially retired or whatever from it. <laughs> and so, yeah, technically they can still test me for that. Uh-huh. But it's interesting now because you have this, this shift, you know, with supplementation and different things. And and I guess the biggest one that, you know, is like the big talking point now, I mean, okay, you've had painkillers, different things, but it's like ketones. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and for a long time, we know they've been around a long time. You know, we, we know they've been around for, I don't know, 10, 12 years or something. Yeah. Guys have been experimenting off and on. I was first made aware of them. Nike, you know, presented some to me, um, the HVMN ones back in 2019. Uh-huh. Um, I couldn't even get a bottle down, you know, <laughs> yeah. so vile. It's, and we kind of yeah. scrapped it. And then, and, and also it was sort of like a bit taboo, you know, like no one really knew where the gray line and whatever was. And then now, but as we know, you know, in the last couple of years, it's become well, in the Peloton, it's quite rife. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Tim O'Donnell's a big proponent. He's been yeah, on the he's show. Yeah, he's sponsored by Delta G, yeah, I think. Another, yeah, another one of the, the big companies. And so there's there's been this this sort of shift to now a couple of the teams have actually come out and said, okay, we're sponsored by X brand and I don't know. There's quite a number of different brands. Uh-huh. Um, and which means that all of a sudden that has sort of passed the ethical point but for a long time that was like a top secret because no one really it kind of gives you an idea of how you know fragile everyone was on this whole anti-doping thing because you weren't cheating they weren't illegal they were verified they were fine but no one would talk about it interesting you know yeah i thought that 
was it Ineos? There was a team that that was sort of you know testing and experimenting with this and using it in well, races. That was interesting because they said it was Ineos, but when I was sent them in nineteen, Tim said, "Listen, like we we're not doing that. You know, we don't do that here." And and that was like, okay, well, I'll, they taste horrible, so that's fine. But then mm-hmm. you know, the last couple of years, I've I, and to be honest, I, I wasn't presented with it from the team. But I became aware of certain groups within the team were on program, you know, trial programs with it. And I've been racing and seen other teams pulling them out of their pocket. I mean, I remember mid seeing- Mid-race. Mid-race, yeah. I was riding on the front with Tim DeClerc from, from Quickstep and he pulled out one of the HVMM bottles. You know, I remembered it and cracked the top and hoofed it down. I was thinking, whoa, how'd you do that? But they, they believe it's quite a wonder drug. You know, I mean, it's got a bunch of different you know, functions, cognitive, and obviously ability to utilize your fuels and everything better. Um, yeah, I, I personally started using it while I've been here in this camp just to get my own understanding of it, you mm-hmm. know, away from the team and away from, to, to learn to learn a bit about it. I've, the, the HVMM one, which is now a, a very different formula, which is much more palatable. And, and I guess I find that, yeah, you can, it almost does feel like, I can see why everyone kept it a secret because you you feel like you can train harder, you know, like you feel like you're on the limit, like, you know, and but all of a sudden you can still do it, you know, whereas before you felt like you would blow up, you know, like you start that interval and you think, right, I don't know if I'll get through this one and sure enough, it's too much. Whereas all of a sudden now you've, you've, you've still got that bit uh-huh. and, and every day you get to your rest day and you're like, you know what, like, I'm not that tired. Like, I mean, last last week, I, yeah, I, I had a long run. I was telling you about, you know, I've been communicating with Ken Rideout and I thought, right. you know what? I think I'll run a marathon today. So <laughs> I- Ken has that Yeah, effect. has that ability. So I go out and I run, I ran and I have a bit of a caveat. I grabbed the dog for the last three or four K to slow it right down so that I don't, mm-hmm. you know. So I ran like 248 pace for 38, 39 K, grabbed the dog and- jogged in at like six minute K pace. So we did a 254. So just a nice cruisy little marathon. And normally that <laughs> for would, you. you know, you feel pretty average. The next day got up <laughs> for my easy day, you know, it was beautiful, got on the gravel bike, ended up, you know, going for a swim. So four and a half hours later, I get home. And then the next day I was doing threshold efforts on the bike, you know, and to think that like you could, you know, <laughs> train at that level. Like I couldn't fathom doing that uh-huh. even before Kona. You it know? does feel like it's in this weird liminal space between what's okay and what might not be okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's my point with this. Yeah. Exactly with the ketones. It's like, and we've had a number of years where people have been very unsure of it to the point where it's kept secret. Right. Whereas like all even of a though sudden, it's legal, no one will talk about. Exactly. <laughs> it's like almost like, like the world's best kept secret, you yeah. know, in 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 sport and and um. And it's amazing, but now, and I don't know if people are coming out about it because they're like, well, we've actually, we're actually way ahead of the research now with it and we're comfortable to tell people about it so they can use it that way, but mm-hmm. we're actually using it in this capacity. Well, it's but only recently- It's the most widely the, talked about thing. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's something that only in the past year has become commercially available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's been a big barrier to it, I mean, yeah, most of them are incredibly expensive. And I think that's like HVMN's different, is is they're becoming, they're trying to make it so it is accessible to people with a different, you know, formula, I guess, that mm-hmm. is cheaper to, to create. And 
and time will tell how, how that goes. I mean, it's probably the only way it will become widespread is if it becomes affordable and, and accessible to people, you know, where they can buy it at the supermarket. And, you know, now you've got to go and you've got to probably get online. You've got to actually maybe do some research because it has that stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's, it's crazy. I mean, obviously like with anything new, there's always like studies and everything and, and, and it seems to be able to benefit everything. Um, so anyway, with sport, you know, all of a sudden we've transcended to a point where, okay, we've got stuff that we know is legal, yet we don't know if we should say anything about it, which is quite mind boggling when you think back to how sport used to be. So I think that's a positive, you know? Right, right, Um, right. And hopefully not a signal of, are we pushing again to like, are we going you know, back? Are we going into back? the darkness? Like, okay, ketones yeah. are fine, but but what's then next? You know, like people thinking, okay, if that's helping that, and you know, what can we you know, mm-hmm. keep pushing, keep pushing the the boundary? Um, and I know with our team, we've felt like other teams have been at the forefront of these particularly ketones and um, research and, and and use, and and we've been apprehensive because of the stigma and sort of left behind for a period and, and obviously felt like we need to get on board, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, it, the, the sport definitely took a big hit. Yeah, Absolutely, you know, and and, uh, and I think it's great that everyone is so conscious about, <laughs> now we're conscious about stuff right. that's perfectly legal. Let's take a beat and really try to understand what this is before yeah. we just say yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, collagen was another one. You know, I mean, years ago, you know, it was like, is that okay? Is it not? You know, it's, you know, and, and all of a sudden now that's everywhere. Do yeah. you have to be uh, real? I mean, obviously you do, you have to be super conscious of everything you put in your body. Yeah. Do you have a supplement regimen or do you have to have to make sure everything's NSF and all of that so that you don't end up with a, you know, some kind of like false thing. positive tainted yeah. know, situation. Absolutely. I mean, I just make sure it's, um, uh, I'm not sure what the, there's a little logo that I know to look for. Yeah, it's like a little Verified circle NSF. Or something. Yeah, yeah, I think so, right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, I, to be, to be honest, this is something else I've, I mean, my wife is holistic nutrition, so she's big on food, you know, and, and that being everything. and. And up until recently, that's been the big focus for us, you know, mm-hmm. um, is is trying to give me everything through that. But uh, yeah, we've done some research now and like, yeah, for example, collagen, you know, for the joints, especially I am 39, so I am getting older. Not that I feel, I mean, I'm doing more than I've ever done, but I need to stay on top of it. Um, so yeah, that's something that I've Im- implemented. Um, vitamin C just purely for, you know, immunity. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to get sick. and. I don't know if it's a placebo, but I find whenever I'm religious with just a couple of vitamins a day, I'm able to stay, you know, healthy. Um, obviously now the ketones and that seems to be, you know, having some benefit. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, one of my, one of my, the, the companies I'm involved with, Momentus, they have a, a sleep, which right. sleep pack, which uh, we're traveling a huge amount, you know, I mean, the going against your psychotic rhythm and everything else, like trying to manage that process is, um, is really important. I think in, to, to the longevity in the sport, yeah. all the time changes, but also to get the most out of your performance. But I've also found that because of its effectiveness with that, and I felt I've been able to travel better this, you know, the last sort of few months that I've been using it, um, 
when I have a hard day and I want to make sure I get a good night's sleep, I have that too. But, yeah. you know, I wake up and, you know, it's all natural and that's the great right. thing about Momentus. Everything's all natural, et cetera. So even in our household, my wife who was, you know, very much against, you know, numbers and chemical, you know, all this sort of stuff, we've started to devise, you know, a bit of a protocol um, of different things because there's enough science out there that, you know, suggests that it's, it's mm -hmm. potentially good for you to get the most out of yourself. Yeah, the yeah. Momentous Sleep Pack, I think it's called Sleep Elite, yeah. I think is what it's called. Like yeah. I use that and uh, you know, they're a supporter of the show and I know Jeff and all of that, like mm. we're, we're stoked to yeah. be working with them. And I really love their products. So I, I, I use that as well, but there's also like the Huberman protocol, which yep. is all, like the L-theanine and yeah. all Like, so I'll, I'll take that occasionally, but then I get crazy dreams. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. that happens to you. Like, yeah. No, it start to weird me out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I used to back in the old days when we had like tamazepam uh -huh. and still knocks and crazy things like that with like the cycling team. But even that stuff is not out there anymore. You know, it's melatonin's about as extensive right. as it gets from, from, from the team. Um, and then of course, yeah, you're basically like protein. I mean, for me, like that's a big one. Like that really, you know, especially I'll, I generally actually have it between a session. You know, I don't have it at the end of the day. Um, I, cause generally whenever I finish one thing, I've still got something else Yeah, and I'll in the morning, I'll, I'll brew up. I've got an American type coffee maker at home and I make a big pot and I have a, you know, a cup or two before I head out for training. And then if I've got to run or swim or something in the afternoon, you know, I get home, I throw the frozen banana, I, I throw the protein or the recovery powder in there. Nice, good scoop of very healthy Nutella, natural of course. And, um, and as the base, I'll, some ice, I'll use the coffee, you know? Uh -huh. And if it's later in the day, <laughs> I might use almond milk or rice milk or something yeah. else, but it's like a protein bomb, I call it. And so I'm getting my, you know, I'm starting the recovery process from the session I did before, but I've still actually got another sure. one to go, but I'm getting a boost from the- The, from the, the recovery the and caffeine. the stimulant. And I know like we started this podcast at like five o'clock and yeah. you drank an espresso, yeah. which is a bold move. Yeah, yeah, no, well- But you probably already, what did you already do today? So you went out and rode with G all mm -hmm. day today, right? Yeah, we did four and a half hours. I did. I did a couple of, as I said, a couple of sort of zone three efforts, which, you know, zone threes around that 150 to 160 sort of heart rate. So, you know, as I said to G, I said, it's sort of like, it's not hard, but it's not easy. You know, mm. it's in that middle zone. It's sort of like annoying because you're kind of holding back, but not too much, you know, it's actually a bit easier to go a bit harder. So yeah, I ended up doing a couple of 20 minutes is around 410 watts. And then uh, shot home, um, put on the running shoes and did a couple of two and a half K around 320, 330 pace, you know, a bit of, you know, cruisy jogging in between that, ran a bit over 15 K in an hour, 15 and a half K. So uh, yeah, that was- And that's that sort of a day. typical Yeah, it was about five, well, yeah, it was about five and a half hours in total. Yeah. So how does that work with Garrett? Like, does that fuck with his head because this is a guy who's won the Tour de France and you're the guy who's training with him, but you're doing more by going out after the training session that you do with him and then going to swim or run. So this was something both. we didn't get to, but <laughs> Tim Kerrison, this is, I think he's a mastermind because that kind of happened at first and in 18 and then after the first week and obviously Froomey figured it out pretty quick, you know, in 17 when we were together. So what happens is they just do more. So G, you know, when we came out here in 18, which was the first time we really trained just one-on-one, -on -one, after about a week, I, he, I said, oh mate, I, you know, I'm, I'm just running a bit late this morning. Um, 
And oh, but I, you know, and he's so anyway, when we got there, he's oh, everything okay? I was like, yeah, no, fine. I just had swimming. And he mm-hmm. just didn't, he's like, you yeah, what? <laughs> so all of a sudden, the next day, you know, he was up, you know, an hour and a half, two hours earlier. And got him like, yeah, yeah. This he's will like, not stand. This is not going to stand. And then every <laughs> yeah. time I said, okay, yeah, I'm finished now. He's like, yeah, I'm going to just go up here. Right. So even today, you know, <laughs> we, got to, we got to sunset. He said, yeah, I'm actually going to go up behind the Palisades to that one way climbing back. But uh-huh. I'd already said, oh, I'm going home to get my shoes on. So right. I couldn't do the extra with him plus the run. So, and there's definitely been... You know, Tim Kerris that I think has been a bit of a mastermind and all the guys are trained with, you know, now the younger guys, Tom Pidcock, Magnus Sheffield, et cetera. They all, you know, mm-hmm. okay, well, I might, I'll, like, you know, Tom, for example, you know, he in Andorra, we get, to, you know, the main town and then it sort of splits. There's up the French Valley and up the Spanish Valley. And I live on the Spanish sort of valley side and that's where the pool is. And so, to then get over to the French side, you either will keep going up there or you have to climb a big mountain pass like climbing up and over um, Latigo, for example, mm-hmm. you know, a good, you know, thousand meters, what's that? Three, th- three and a half thousand foot climb. Yeah. So Tom will say, oh, I'll just come past the pool with you. Because then uh-huh. you know, he's actually got to go past the pool and then all the way up yeah. and over the climb before he gets home. So it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's good for them. Yeah, they, who's they, who's gonna get the the last word in? Basically, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's uh, and yeah, as long as we're all performing, that's the main thing. Mm. I love that that you guys are like cruising around LA. Like mm. I think it's this is a drum that I'm always beating, but I just think it's the most underrated place to train. I mean, maybe it's not Andorra, but when you look at triathletes and how many people are in Boulder, and I was joking with. Timothy O'Donnell, like you guys are all in your garages and in your basements, like yeah. on treadmills. And and it was like 84 degrees here today. Oh, boiling you know? today. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, for me, I, I said to the guys and, and Froomey's obviously come out, you know, a couple I've of years, him. COVID yeah. year, he I've was seen, here with you know, me. And like, and, and you, a whole teams will, yeah. Columbia, like just down the way here, like yeah. the hotel would just get, you know, World, world, you know, teams from the the tour will come out and spend a month or a couple yeah. of weeks. I say to the guy, I mean, it's the wow factor here. You know, I mean, you people don't. I mean, and that was the big reason why Tim was pushing a, another part with me with G because I'd lived here, I knew my way around. So from day one, he was able to. We were able to go and train. If you don't know the place, yeah, you'd get to LA and go, all right, where do I go? Right, you, you wouldn't know? You wouldn't know. Like, it's not obvious that it's a good place to no. train. No, yeah. but once you get out there, like today, you know, just up on Saddle Peak, there's four different sides. We went up every single side. Uh-huh. And I, I think we saw about three cars and one of them was the guy following us, Marco. So it's just, you know, it's, it's impossible to explain it with one of the most densely populated cities in the world that you can see you know, mm-hmm. and then at the moment after the rain and the wind, you know, you can see all out to the Catalina, like you almost feel like you can see Hawaii. I mean, you just see for, it's just, it's just the wow factor is nuts, but the quality of the, of the climbing and the training is, I mean, obviously, you know, to bring him up, but Lance, I mean, he was the only one I know of that spent time here training right. in the, in the summer, you know, or in the but winter, But I think sorry. that's because he was dating Cheryl Crow. It was, yeah, he yeah. had reasons to be out here, but <laughs> yeah. still, he was obviously really yeah. smart, you know, he knew, he knew where to go. Um, and and the weather, you know, it's, you, you get up in the morning, you never have to question, can you do this? It, okay, we've had like two days of rain and it was Armageddon, but the, you'd never have to question it. Like, and that is the hardest thing for me here is a rest day because 
again, you feel like you should be doing something. Uh-huh. You know, the last thing in the world you feel like you should be doing is resting and doing nothing. But then that's great being here. You can go to Disneyland or <laughs> mm-hmm. go see a game or go to go to something else. But uh yeah, I mean, yesterday, for example, I just was in the Hollywood Hills up and down all day. You know, I mean, I did a hundred, uh, well, about 70 miles and I didn't leave suburbia. Right. You know, and just going up and down from Mulholland. Yeah. Doing various, yeah. the roads that go up there. Yeah, yeah. Up and, you know, Sunset Plaza, Stradello, Outpost down mm-hmm. the end, Nichols Canyon. Um, I mean, there's, there's actually hundreds of them in there. Yeah. You know, a little one, like Loma Vista, like all these hidden little brick walls, you know but last 10, 15 minutes, like proper climbs, but at, you know, 20%. Right, some good pitch. I mean, so they're not gonna be as long or as steep as you're gonna get in Europe or in Boulder and you don't have the altitude and all of that, but but the trade-off is year-round climate. Exactly, and especially this time of the year and, you know, for G and, and also for me, I mean, things have worked out pretty well since we've, you know, yeah, do the foundation work here. You know, like you you just, I think you just get a real leg up by just being able to log those days after days. I mean, that's the that's the key to anything is consistency. How come more don't live out here, you think? Yeah, I, to be honest, I got no idea. You know, I mean, I think it's just a, a stigma attached with the place. Like it, you know, it, it just isn't for that. And so I guess with regard to professional cycling though, we're in Europe, you know, and we have to be, and most guys are European based, but, it's funny you say it because there's actually a couple of guys in the world tour now that are actually from here. Mm. Uh, Sean Quinn with EF and um, Kevin Vermack, he's from down in Long Beach. So not quite, but Sean Quinn, he, I mean, he grew up on up in the Hollywood Hills on, on Mulholland. Oh, there. wow. Yeah, so he that. knows all those roads like the yeah. back of his hand. And, um, and so they're young. They're only just going to the world tour. They're both very good. And it could be, you know, they could be the catalyst for, you know, other particularly Americans, you know, setting up a base here and using it as when they're not in Europe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and then triathletes, uh, same sort of thing. I don't know, it yeah. just doesn't have the culture. You know, I mean, Chris it's, McCormick it, was here for a while, but that's yeah. really all I know of. Well, he would come, so like 10, 12 years ago, he would come out and he would stay in Hidden Hills, some yeah. family there, yeah. like uh, maybe you know the same people. Yeah, yeah like yeah. they open up their home and he would he would stay there. And uh, and and then Terenzo also, yeah. Bazzoni would come out yeah. and I would swim with those guys every day and train with them. Oh, wow. Uh, like we would swim at the Calabasas swimming, that's like my local pool, the Calabasas okay. Swim Tennis Center. And I would, yeah work out with those guys and they were the only ones. Yeah. Um, and we would have the same conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I think if the one thing that's missing is a 50 meter outdoor pool, like if yeah. out here in Agora or whatever, yeah. if, they, if they put something like that in, it yeah. would attract, you know, a lot. Yeah, of I mean, there's one obviously out of Pasadena. Cold I mean, I cities. love that pool, but like yeah. that's so it's far for, to yeah. drive from the Santa Monica mountains. And, to get to and that. the college out here, they got it set up in yards a lot of the time. and. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, cause uh, to me, this place is just, I mean, it's just so stimulating. Mm-hmm. And uh, endurance sport is, I won't say hard cause I love it, but it is, you know I mean? There's there's times when it's like, especially in Andorra, it's cold in the morning, it's dark, you know, and it's tough to get dressed and roll out the door. I mean, once you get out there, it's like fresh mountain air and altitude and, you know, all the guys around, and, you know, this is like during winter, obviously mm-hmm. summer, it's beautiful, but, but here, yeah, you just can't wait to get out. Where am I going to go? Yeah. You know, it's like not a case of, oh, I have to go this. It's like, 
it's hard to choose. You I know, know, the options know. are that endless of everywhere where you want to be uh, that it's actually difficult to choose where to go. Like running, like my marathon the other day, the hardest thing was trying to figure out which which part I'm going to add first and where, when am I going to go down to the beach and do the rocky run part and up to Muscle Beach and then up around Brentwood and, you know, like trying to just, just oh, it's just great. I love, I love it. it here. I love that you love it. Mm. Um, I, I do want to ask you what you've learned, like how does, like, how does what you know or what you learned as a rower contribute to uh, your cycling and your triathlon and vice versa? Like how does your expertise in all of these various disciplines inform like how you train and race? There has to be some alchemy between all of those sports that make you kind of a more informed, experienced athlete. Yeah, well, definitely in rowing, learning how to get the most out of a team because it's even more extreme than cycling you know, because if you go off on your own tangent, the boat won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And one thing I was very good at in rowing, I may never have been the best guy. I was very good at rowing with other people. We do a thing called speed order trials where you, um, seat racing where you, you know, they just change one guy. So I might be a, a double or a four and they'll put two together and put another, pull him out and put him with him and you get a ranking. And I would always win that, you know, I could, and it's because I didn't have an ego, I could, feel what the other guy was doing, adapt to that. A lot of guys would get in, just do their thing. And that was fine if they were with me because I could adapt. But when they get in with someone else that they're meant to be great with, that you know, completely sucks. So uh-huh. in cycling, you know, being able to identify, you know, when guys are on the edge or when you need to give someone a bit of a pep, pep me up or a bit of self-belief or, or whatever else, because as I said, you know, everyone's quite, quite capable. So I think that part of, of rowing, you know, has been a great, uh, mm-hmm. a great, a great thing to learn. Um, and then I guess as far as how it's helped me in Ironman, you know, I think just that ability to do those big days in training, you know, like I said, I learned that from rowing. I used to, but not only, but not only did I do the six hours, I did it in three different things. Like I said to you, I'd, I'd go rowing, I'd go to the gym, I'd go for a ride or I might go for a run. So I've been doing that forever. It's not like I just yeah. started it. You know, I mean, you, you, the things that I, I believe the things I draw on now are things I did as like a 17, 16, 17, 18 year old kid. You know, the foundation was, was set and uh, I've just been able to draw into that, you know, with, with anything that I've done um, over, that, over that period of time. So I'd say in rowing, okay, you've got the natural things, pushing yourself, hurting yourself, you know, trying to training hard, the discipline, you know, of, uh, you know, with rowing, you, you have no choice but to turn up to training because otherwise the boat doesn't go on the water. Right. So there's other guys there that can't train if you don't show up. Punctuality, like we mm-hmm. say, we're going to be together at this time. That's where we are. And and I'm always, you know, there's there's guys that are like, oh yeah, I'm 10 minutes late. I'm, and I'm like, and I get a bit edgy about that. I mean, not enough, but I, you know, you calm down, you say something to them. But to me, that's not acceptable because in rowing, you can't get on the water. Whereas in cycling, uh-huh. obviously, like whatever, you know, yeah. have another coffee and wait, you know. Um, so that's uh, that's some, you know, the discipline side of it is is great to learn and and not to let anyone down. And um, and I guess another, I was I was speaking to a, a someone recently about you know in rowing every race is a big race and important. You know, like you don't race a lot, you train a lot and then you get your national championships, you mm-hmm. get your selection trials, we got to make the national team, you go to the world cups and the world champs, like they're all big. 
in cycling, you have- You're resting all the time. Yeah. And you gotta be able to, and a lot of the time, like that two and next week UAE, for example, you know, three or four of the days are sprint days and we're sort of there with a GC team for the climb. So it's like, okay, that's just not crash, save some energy because tomorrow we've got to freaking absolutely feed it to her. You know, there's a team uh-huh. time trial or whatever. So getting that around your, around your head that it's not that way was actually a challenge for me because, and I used to crash a lot, I guess, because every day I was desperate. But in triathlon, it's wonderful that I learned that skill because every time I race a triathlon, it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to win. You know, I'm there to perform, you know, and, and uh, so I've, I've, I'm used to, I've got the experience of that from, from rowing, you know, it's like everyone matters. And mm-hmm. that's, I never go to a race. I, I never want to be, I never want people to come and watch and go, oh God, Cameron didn't even try or, you know, this, like I want everyone to go, wow, that was great to watch him. No matter what the result, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> It, that's really interesting. I mean, I think what I what I what I take from your example, or or kind of what inspires me about your path, is that um, you know it's really about the enthusiasm that you have. Like you're in love with what you do, yeah. right? Like it's so clear. Like mm. you're just you're so excited. Like you're you're not like oh, I got to get up and do that. Like you're look, looking forward to whatever punishment you're going to dole out on yourself tomorrow yeah, right like yeah. you can't wait i can't you know and yeah. and that's cool because you've been doing it for so long and as somebody who's been you know at the highest level of sports since like what 2004 or something yeah. like that yeah. like the fact that well, you I still was world love champion it champion in 2003 okay well yeah. out of year oh, one was well, my first world okay yeah. we'll yeah. we'll throw a couple more years yeah, on there 22 <laughs> yeah yeah but uh all right so even even more impressive then you know i don't want to shortchange you no. um and you're still getting better and you're still improving. Yeah. But I think that's a function of how much you're enjoying yourself, which I yeah. think gets lost, you know? And, and probably I think a lot of professional athletes after they've been in it for a while, they just, you, you, it's, it's easy to get cynical or to kind of lose what got you excited about being in the sport mm. to begin with. And somehow you've been able to hold on to that. Yeah, but I, I, as back to what we said before, I surround, I've been very fortunate with the people I'm surrounded with. <laughs> they don't really allow me to, and, and they don't really allow me to think in any other way. You know, I mean, Tim Kerrison is never like, oh God, we're starting to fall off here. We need to do this to try and keep you up there. We need to keep you in the game. It's all, okay, we've got to get this swim block in. We've really got to figure this out. Okay, you've been making excuses for however long, right? We've finally got this 50 meter pool. That's go, you know. That's uh-huh. go and do these big miles because that's all you got to do. It's really simple. And and Brett Kirby at Nike, you know, the fascinating thing last year, they said, listen, you know, we got an idea. How? What do you think about LA Olympics? And I was like, yeah, what do I think? I think it's fantastic. It's twenty twenty eight. Said, yeah, you'll be forty four. How about you try and go back to rowing? I was, I was gonna like, get to this. I was gonna get to this, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. And and I and I said, <laughs> far out. Okay, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that, but he, they were like, wow, it'd be great to like bookend your career with, you know, with that sport and it's such a vast, you know, gap in between. And I said, okay, well, I'll be 44. Now, another thing is Tom Brady and I are both born on the third of August. Obviously he's older than me, but we're born on the third of August. So since he started all this longevity stuff, I've always had like 45 as that you know, this, this, this number. Mm-hmm. And so Nike did a bit of research and, you know, it, it seems that physiologically, as long as you look after yourself, you haven't had injuries, et cetera, 
you shouldn't really decline until then. You know, I mean, there's a lot of evidence, particularly it's like your VO2, for example, is the first thing to get hit and it won't really go until then. Um, so the first thing that could potentially be affected would be swimming and running, which are the two things that I could still improve the most in because mm-hmm. I just simply haven't done them for that long. And then cycling actually comes even later. Right. So, and they said the reason most guys get to mid thirties, early thirties and think it's time to stop is they've been doing that for 20 years. Like you change your mind, like you change your underpants about sport. So, <laughs> you know, you never give yourself yeah. a chance to have got complacent or, you know, rest. I mean, even look at you now, you got into Iron Man. Now all of a sudden you wanted to throw cycling back in there to, and you, you're constantly trying to figure out how to be, how to be better, how to figure it out. And so, you know, if we threw rowing at you, it would only do the same thing. You'd be like, right, I'm back in the boat. Okay, how can all these years of every other sport uh-huh. apply to, to making that happen? And it sounds like coastal rowing will be, will be part of the Olympics and they call that old man's rowing. Right, this so, is like, again, on that like Forrest <laughs> Gump thing, like everything's just showing up with perfect timing. Like, yeah, yeah that's the sport, like, cause all the young gunners are not gonna go for that. They want to be in the skulls, right? So it most likely it opens yeah. it up. Yeah, for well, you. You'd think the first Olympics, if there's a shot, at, at, you know, breaking. I mean, G and I talked about this because we've always joked about. He's always joked about wanting to do Ironman. And yeah. it was he wanted to do it competitively, but then he's seen what's happened in the sport, and you know, he said, "I said, mate, look, if I'm honest with you, if you'd done it when I started, that was, I guess, kind of low hanging fruit. You know, I came in and was able to kind of change things and." All that really, you know, everything, when I learned to run, there was a lot of great cyclists before, but no one could run. But when I learned to run, they all learned to ride, you know, and still run as quick to stay ahead of me, you know, Mm. and the low hanging fruit has kind of gone from the sport now. You know, you got these, with all due respect, but, you know, I was able to make my way in at a time when there was an opportunity to do that. And so, and so now G's more like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to enjoy when I stop cycling, I'm going to do Ironman Wales, maybe qualify for Kona, uh-huh. maybe be an age group, you know, uh-huh. do as well as I can. And, um, and who knows from there, but, and I guess that's the same thing with coastal rowing, you know, it'll be the first Olympics that'll be in. So we'll see, it might not be as competitive, but at the end of the and day- And it's longer, right? Like what is the distance? Yeah, like five, six K. So it's like 25 to 30 minutes, depending on the mm-hmm. weather. Um, and yeah, uh, on the conditions and obviously with now having some open water swimming understanding and, you know, with the, with the rowing, I've got access to obviously the, the, work, the America's cup crew. So I could go and maybe spend some time with them to learn a bit about, you know, currents and water and, you know, wind and, you know, different things that I never thought of before. Um, I guess I potentially do have the resources around me to you do. give yeah. that a nudge. That's insane because we'll I, I didn't even think of the whole Ineos thing and how they can, you know, come to your, you know, aid with all of that. Like that's insane. I, could build I mean, me a that boat. would just you have to do that. Like it would just be absolutely <laughs> fucking legendary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, hey, I, I mean, I won't rule it out. I mean, I definitely you would be, won't rule it be, out. I mean, it would just be indisputed, like yeah. legendary status. Yeah, and for being all time. here in LA. That's gonna be, yeah. and I think once we get through Paris next year and I'm not really, look, I mean, I haven't given up on, obviously with my role on the team, there's always a role on the Australian team. And we've discussed it in the past few years, even leading up to Tokyo, I was in the sort of the group, but you know, I was a few guys away from getting picked. And even, but the worlds each year, like, you know, since what I did last mm. year, particularly in Roubaix, I guess that kind of, Olympic reminded everyone, race. you know, yeah. that I can 
play that role and at, at the highest level and 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 also maybe I could help bring the team together a bit you right. know like obviously national teams it can be quite fragmented with different trade teams and they all come together so who knows so uh, you know you never know what might happen with Paris but it's definitely not like an objective my my goal in the next two years is to be the best teammate I can be, you know, with the guys this year. And I mean, I take that year by year, whether I'm going to race again. Um, As I said, I came very close to being happy not to do it this year, but the team sort of encouraged me to keep going and and I'm happy I made that call. I really want to win in Nice. You know, obviously it's at the end of the day, it is a world championship and it's an opportunity to win. And, you know, if I can pull that off, obviously I want to confirm it in Kona. And, And then we'll see. You know, right. I can't see myself bidding Ironman. I think even if I did coastal rowing, I'd probably want to do both. Um, but they probably complement each other exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. And then longer term, hmm. I mean, like the multi-sport ultra world, you would just absolutely dominate that. Well, if I, you I turned your sights on that. After that, you, the the pod with Colin, I I, you know, I started following. I think actually. Ultra, the world championship in Kona was on around that time. Uh, you're talking about Ultraman? Yeah. I was, th- I was there, I crewed an athlete at that race. Okay. Yeah, So I past did, year. I did take note of uh-huh. that and you would crush that. that. You would absolutely crush that race. Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel that, and the, what they're doing is incredible, but I kind of feel like, uh, uh, you know, someone, Tim O'Donnell, or you yeah, know, somebody, somebody Lionel, legit has to step up and or, tackle yeah, that thing. Or Ben Hoffman, yeah. and they, they're going to blow it out. You know, know. they're, they're going to do something yeah. a bit like what's happened in Iron Man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not. It's, 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 not it's inevitable. It's not critical to the guys doing it. They're amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, they're at the the best in the sport. But there's there's going to be something that'll push them. You yeah. know, like has happened in. In, in Ironman, you know, and, and and it's sort of been a natural evolution of getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden now Ironman is like you say, it's like mm-hmm. a, a race, we're sprinting yeah. almost. So what's gonna challenge challenge us next? Oh, okay, doing doing it twice. Right, I know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's starting to change. This year, uh, Leander Cave and Didi Griesbauer Had raced a bit of a race. And, and Didi like was amazing. Oh, but yeah. you know, I think she's 52, you know, so, yeah. and still like, I mean, it was, her performance was unreal. Yeah. Um, but to get somebody more in their prime to yeah. step in and do that, yeah. you know, I think is it's only a matter of time. It definitely, yeah, uh, I I I like to look at that as well. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not headed back to the the real estate fund anytime no, soon. No, no. As I said, that's going to be more. We love you, but yeah, like yeah. I think that that seat might be fallow for yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. longer. No, he he knows that, and he'll be he'll be a big support. Like he said to me, you your role in this whole fund is walkabout. If you can take us uh-huh. on your walkabout, you know. Um, one thing that I've been, you know, I've always you know, I've not to pat myself on the back, but I tend to always put everyone else first, you know, even, and that's great. Like I said, in rowing, like I always want to be the bottom guy in the team. I always want to make everyone else better. I'm always happy for everyone else when they win. That doesn't always work out best for you. Right. In, in the sports but the that I've done. the fact that you're so committed to Kona tells me that you, yes, and you yeah. also, you know, desire. Win. Yeah, it's Absolutely. like you want your moment. And in that one though, it doesn't really affect everyone else. You know, it's it's like, it's just me, uh-huh. but obviously with the team, even with Ryan. And so I guess finance has always drawn me in because I think, well, here's an industry where you can, you know, 
want what's best for everyone else. You want to help them make money. And then that's also going to benefit you quite handsomely. <laughs> so, so it's um, it's definitely it's definitely something that I think will, will fit nicely. You know, yeah. I've, as I said, I've and, and and the fact that everything I've done, I've always wanted to be around the best people, or found myself around the best people, and wanted to succeed. I, you know, I, I mean, until I take my last breath, I hope I maintain that attitude with everything I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, well, we 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 got to wrap this up here, but before we do that, I I, I think uh, you know it would be helpful to just leave the the listener or the viewer with um, a few thoughts on, um, you know, helping them with their own kind of fitness endurance journey. I mean, yeah. I think it's easy to hear your story and find it inaccessible, mm. <laughs> you know, but you know, you're racing, when you do these Ironmans, you're with all the amateurs, you're seeing what everybody's doing, what they're yeah. doing right, what they're doing wrong. Yeah. Um, so for the aspiring triathlete or endurance athlete or somebody who's training for their first marathon, like based upon your experience and kind of what you see other people doing, like what are some, you know, things to focus on and things to maybe not focus on or common mistakes that you see? Yeah, um, it's funny because a friend of mine, a, a, a ride with him out here, Stuart Walton and, mm. his, and his wife, Kelly, they're actually training for a half Ironman. Yeah. Know? It's like, and they've never done one. And we've had a lot of these conversations lately. And I always say the same thing to people, focus on the swim. And I seem very hypocritical <laughs> because it, you know, I'm not the best at it myself, but, and I, and I don't seem to apply the time to it that I should. But if you don't get out of that swim well, the rest of the day is a really long, long day. So if you're a great swimmer, okay, then you can move to the bike, you know, and then once you can get through the bike, then you can start thinking about the run. But, but to me, like the biggest thing is, and I think people neglect it, you know, like, oh, I'm not a good swimmer. It's like, well, honestly, the more time you spend and you just work on that so you can just get through that comfortably, you're gonna mean that you can actually utilize the things you are strong at, you know, much, much mm. better uh, throughout the rest of the race. So that's always my, my biggest piece of advice. And then another thing, you know, we discussed was, you know, he was talking to me about the, you know, the boots and the gun, you know, all these sort yeah. of stuff. And I mean, honestly, like, especially if you're, that stuff takes time. I mean, I, I know the Norwegians talked about it really well, like yeah. about massage and, but it's so true. You know, I mean, all that stuff takes time. It can often take time away from things that, you'd prefer to be doing and does it really help that much at that lip? Probably not, mm -hmm. you know, right. and not to, not to crap can on any of that stuff, but especially you know, when you're time crunch and you have a life, like exactly. you're not living, you know, the life that Gustav and Christian have, no. you know, and even feeling, you don't have the time they have, like no. you have a wife and a child. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I, when I heard them, I was like, wow, I, I remember being at the Institute. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't say I miss those days. Yeah. I love what I've got now, but, yeah, I could, I could just picture them. Yeah, uh -huh. I, you can see it. But, you know, don't, and people feeling bad that I haven't, you know, done my boots or my, you know, ball or my whatever right. it is, you know, like make sure you have a good meal, you know, eat well, you know, I mean, uh, take it extra time to do that or, or just, you know, if you're watching TV, just have a stretch or, you know, whatever, like work those little bits of extra pieces in, you know, around, you know, just making sure you've, you've, the rest of your life's going along well, because if you let all those little bits and pieces get on top of you, you know, that'll then get on top of your training and the rest of the life and to make it, you know, very difficult. Uh, so I'd say, you know, really simplify things, but, but then I just go back to what you asked me about what separates, you know, 
Okay, Sun Yang was a controversial example, but you know, Froomey G, etc. Christian, you know, the guys, it's, you know, okay, I'm not saying go out and run a marathon, but maybe at least spend three hours on your feet walking and jogging or something, mm. you know, before you have a crack at an Ironman one day and, 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 run, and ride, definitely try and ride 180 kilometers, you know, like just to see you can see how it feels and obviously swim the distance. Like just go through the motions. You'd be amazed the, how much confidence that will give you knowing that you've done it other mm. than getting there on the start line, you know. I mean, there'll be times when it's just not possible because of your lifestyle and you do what you can. But, you know, if you can make the time just for that, even if it's just one, you know, and, and I'm not saying do it all in one day. I'm saying, you know, one weekend, okay, I'm going to do race distance. Okay, next weekend, I'm going to ride the race distance. The next weekend, I'm going to hike for three hours. You know, just just like practice what you got to deal with, you know, mm. and... uh I know that's all sounds simple, but unless you get the foundations of it all right, like the training, the you know, the the, the intervals, the power meters, the heart rate, all that stuff, it's it's really largely irrelevant. You yeah. know, what I mean, and even then, once you get to our level, a lot of the time, you it's irrelevant. You're just trying to you got to go that speed, and you got to figure out how to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, swimming is a big one and, and finding a great group. I mean, everyone says it, but finding mm-hmm. a squad is, is is crucial. I mean, I swim a lot on my own, but, you know, that's more because of time, you know, and, and when I have to fit training in. But when it works to swim with a group, I mean, it, it's, it's by far the best way to go. And especially if you're learning and uh, it just keeps you accountable and because you can waste a lot of time if you don't have a structure when you're yeah. trying to manage three different sports. So that accountability help helps a huge amount. So um, yeah, just those basics. I hope I that helps. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. I this mean, is I anything think specific. The only the, the yeah the corollary that I would add to that is simply making it sustainable and trying to make sure that you're enjoying it, right? Because otherwise, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it yep. should be fun and not like overly. It should be hard, but yep. not burdensome. Yeah, and not. In, in approached in a way that's going to capsize the other things in your life in your that life. are important to you. Yep. And on the topic of swimming, I think you know what I see is, I mean, the broader issue is we all like to train our strengths, and we don't really want to deal with the stuff we're not good at. Yeah. You know, so we kind of avoid it, right? Yeah. And for in triathlon, that's often swimming because yep. people didn't grow up swimming. They're just, they're not that good at it. So they're intimidated, whatever, and yeah. so they either avoid it, and then when they go to do it. They're so intent on getting their their fitness in that they won't take the time to learn and understand technique. So I've seen so many triathletes in the pool, like they got to get their Ks in, yeah. they have their workout, but their form is terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, you're just, you should just stop completely and like start over mm. and invest in really understanding how to improve your technique because you're just, you're literally, you could get as fit as you want. You're still just wasting all this energy and you're not moving forward, yeah. Yeah. you know? but. Because they're time crunch, they're like, I can't afford, I can't, you know, afford yeah. that time or that investment. But that would pay a massive dividend. Yes. But, oh, I, yeah. yeah. Swimming is the one sport that you can, by having the too gung ho approach, it yeah. can really backfire on you. I mean, there's obviously some examples in our sport of guys, you know, they've been getting better at swimming for ten years and they train in thirty, forty. I mean. At least when I don't swim well, it's because I haven't swum. Yeah, but <laughs> shame on you for being Australian and, and yeah. not having swimming be your strongest. Exactly of the three. But yeah, how I dare mean, you in triathlon? I mean, it's always that's the starting point. You know, get that right, and and like you say, 
just just learn how to float you know learn how to learn how to comfortably get through that swim and yeah and from there on you're uh yeah worry about the rest right on yeah um all right man well we got to pull the plug on this thing okay and you got to get to the the uh uae yeah yeah flying tomorrow no no next week oh next week oh so you're around still yeah yeah yeah. all right cheers man thanks Thanks. dude that was super fun honor to be appreciated so if people want to follow you uh in the upcoming season where's the best place to find find you on instagram yeah that's all i've got actually i don't have anything else so there you go yeah i'm pretty i'm i mean i'm okay at social media i have a decent following i guess so yeah follow the team and follow me and yeah, there you go. So it's me. at what is the account at Cam Worth? I think it's CJ Worth. Oh yeah, it is right. Yeah. I'll link it up in the show notes and all that good stuff. I appreciate and, uh, that. Cool man, this was super fun. Yeah, you're welcome back. And if you ever want to ride really slow when you're here, in hey, we've got to go for that swim. Happy to do it anytime, man. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, cool. Cheers. Cheers. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube, and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is, of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg, graphic and social media assets courtesy of Daniel Solis, as well as Dan Drake. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants. Namaste.